0: Councilmember Nixon? Here. Councilmember Black? Here. Councilmember Curtis? Here. Councilmember Falcone? Here. Councilmember Pascal? Here. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Here. Mayor Sweet?
1: Okay, hey, thank you, ma'am. So uh, to give us our first update on the uh, mid-biennial budget update is our financial planning manager, George Dugdale. And we did reverse this. Those who saw the previous agenda we reversed the two topics because the budget overview kind of feeds into the CIP. So George will be going first and it will be followed by the second topic afterward.
2: let so take it away, George. Thank you, city manager. Good evening, Mayor, council members. I'm just gonna share the screen here. Okay, great. So we have a total of 30 slides across the mid-buy and the CIP update for you. We'll try to get those through those relatively quickly so we can leave lots of time for council questions and comments. So I have 19 slides on the mid-buy budget update. And then, as the city manager said, I'll hand over to Kevin Pelstring for the remainder, which is the CIP slides. Okay. So... Before I get into the content, I just want to go through exactly what we'll be covering. So firstly, a financial overview um, that covers the uh, changes to the general fund forecast as well as um, revenue expenditures and inflationary impacts. And then we're going to um, quickly touch on the progress we've made implementing the 2023 2024 service packages, which is a good barometer of how departments and the city overall has been doing and implementing the council's direction from that budget. And we do have some mid-annual adjustments, both service packages and other adjustments and finish just with an update on the recent growth in the city's budget and the size of the, the overall reserves. So um, on the financial overview, I have slides on each of these things, um, but I, there's really three key takeaways that I think that summarize what's been happening <laughs> since we began the budget in January 2023. So general fund revenues are above budget, um, but, due to a re- um, but have been re- reduced by a one-time sales tax refund in 2023. So sales taxes were were trending about 5% ahead of budget. The Department of Revenue reached out to the city and said that in our October distribution, there is a court-ordered settlement which returns about $1.5 million of sales tax, which we received in 2020. Due to that, sales taxes will be more like budget in 2022, which, as a reminder, is a 0% growth from 23. We anticipate revenues being above budget in 2024, with sales taxes being close to their 23 level. For general fund expenditures, <clears throat> they're trending above budget at the moment, primarily due to overtime, particularly in the fire department. Um, this has been um, this is particularly notable because we have fewer budgetary savings than in recent budget cycles. This is partly due to um, the work that departments have done to hire their staffing. We have fewer vacancies, when we had certainly at any point in the last few years. Um, but also tied to the final point, there um, the impact of high inflation in 2021 and 2022, in particular has started feeding through into the price that we pay for lots of um, things, particularly in our internal service funds. And so costs for the same items have increased, and we'll see that a few times as I go through the presentation. So a bit more of a deep dive on general fund revenues. Um, As I mentioned, sales taxes in 2023 are anticipated to be at budget. Um, We expect them to be close to where they would have been. Um, In 2024, we expect them to be close to where they would have been had we not had the one-time refund. So we think they'll end the biennium about 2.5% ahead of budget. Um, As we discussed at the Council's May retreat, utility taxes are ahead of budget in 2023, which we expect to continue into 2024. This is mostly because of large rate increases um, on the private utility side, which were larger than we had thought they might be, and so that's feeding through into utility taxes. Um, one update from May is revenue-generating regulatory license, which is the per FTE business um, fee. This is slightly below budget, but revenues in the second half of 2023 have actually been better than they were in the first half. This is at least in part because um, financing the staff in the staff in the finance department have been reaching out to large businesses who we had some renewals earlier in the year that either hadn't come through or it had come through at very much lower numbers than in previous years. And so we've seen an uptick in those revenues as some companies have responded to those. The final big category that I want to mention is investment interest. Um, This you can see in the table, we're expecting it to be um, about $2.6 million above budget across the the two years, which is about 40% ahead of budget. Um, this is partly because we anticipated interest rates would fall further than they have, and so investment in, um, investment returns are still higher, and also because the cash balance in the general fund is higher than we thought it would be, um, potentially due to timing and uh, differences in the timing of payments. On the expenditure side, um, I want to spend most of the time here talking about personnel expenditures. So, um, as I mentioned, we're expecting personnel expenditures to actually be running ahead of budget at the end of 2024. This includes um, cost of living adjustments, which we have budgeted for. The primary reason for this is fire overtime. Um, however, I should mention that fire overtime is actually running lower in 2023 than it did in 2022, and we anticipate it running lower still in 2024. Um, it will still be ahead of budget, however. The reason that the overall personnel remains ahead of budget is because, partly because we don't have the vacancy savings that we've had in recent bienniums. so we've had fire overtime significantly above budget, but that's been more than offset by large vacancy savings, um, in, particularly in 21 and 22. The other reason is that we have some overhire positions, particularly in the fire department, that were added in, in May. So um, when those were, those were originally unfunded, when they were added, and staff said that we would assess the, their impact, and we would bring back to council um, solutions for, for, for funding that. And so um, now that we see halfway through the biennium that the impact on personnel costs is significant, um, staff is proposing that we wait until the end of this year um, and we, because as I said, overtime is moderating. We also anticipate a number of retirements in the fire department now that the IFF contract is settled. When we originally proposed the overhires, we thought the IFF contract would settle earlier in the year. Um, so, if there are retirements in the fire department early in 2024, that revenue, that number for personnel, will come down. Um, but staff's plan is to bring back to the May retreat a proposal that would fund the personnel overage in the fire departments and any other departments um, for the rest of 2024. Um, so, beyond personnel, discretionary savings are projected to be relatively low, or actually very low, in, 20, in 23 24 This is largely due to, um, this is for two reasons. Largely um, because of inflation, as I previously mentioned, which is running higher, and has increased the cost of supplies and services. But also as we've hired more positions, and as we've reduced the number of um, vacancies that we have, there has been an uptick in spending on um, supplies and services as new staff come on board. So um, discretionary items are expected to be very, very close to budget by the end of 2024. I should say that um, we, in previous years uh, we are we have asked departments this year as in previous years to be quite conservative with their um, estimates of their expenditures and so what that means on the expenditure side is that they're often estimating higher than what the the, what actually comes in so when we have the full year results in 2023 we'll know um, whether that's the case again this year and there may be more discretionary savings than we're showing right now but for the purposes of projection and the purposes of budgeting out 2024 we're showing it as presented by departments Okay, I'm going to move into the, more specifically into the inflationary increases that we're seeing. So, in the memo that was presented to council, there were four examples given, um, and these aren't necessarily the largest examples. They're just um, examples that came up during the mid-buy process. Um, in terms of, just the cost of increases that we've seen for the same services. So, on the healthcare side, um, the cost of a clinic visit has risen 25% and a routine office visit, which excludes um, the VERA, because that's paid via fixed costs, has increased by 13%. And um, this is since 2020. And then on the fleet side, both the purchase of vehicles, you can see one example there, which has increased nearly 40%, and some routine fleet equipment has increased by over 30%. And so we're seeing large increases. Um, and the, the, the cost comparator here is 2020, but the real increase has been in the last two years since 2021. So the as you can see, costs have been escalating quite quickly. It's worth noting this doesn't line up perfectly with the inflation increases, which started in 21 and peaked in 2022. Um, but as we're that has taken a while to filter through the system. And so we are seeing the increases of the inflation in 2022 in services that we're purchasing in 2023 and even in 2024. Um, for example, in IT, we have a number of um, software subscription renewals for the 2024 year, which are higher than we had assumed in the budget, and it's because of the inflation pressures from the last couple of years. Okay, so as I've mentioned a couple of times, the inflationary increases, they are happening across the budget, but they're having a particular impact on our internal service funds. And so, um, and as it says up there, The total cost of healthcare claims has risen by 50% between 2022 and 2023. This is not all due to inflation. Um, Some of this, our healthcare consultants believe, is we had a very, very low baseline cost in 2022, much lower than other organizations that they saw. So some of it is a return to kind of reversion to the mean, as as they said. Um, Some of it is because we have more staff members than previous years, and so that leads some of the costs. But a good portion of the cost is just the increase in. Um, and then there's also a portion due to large claimants, but a good portion is just to the inflation in the cost of routine healthcare. Um, and there's been news articles recently to that effect as well that just routine healthcare costs have gone up a lot in the last couple of years. Um, this has been seen across our other internal service funds as well, although not necessarily to the same extent. The other most notable one is the fleet fund. I showed some examples on the previous slide of the kind of cost increases in the fleet fund that we've seen. Um, in the last couple of years. Um, and so those two funds, but all of the internal service funds in particular um, are, are seeing the increases of the inflationary, um, inflation in the budget. The reason these four funds are seeing that, perhaps more than some of the other funds, is that particularly in the case of health benefits and fleet, they're less dependent on staffing costs, which are more predictable to us, and less dependent on some of the external pressures than um, some of our other funds, which have a lot of staffing in them. and so. The impact of this, as you can see, is that we have some large overages projected in the 2023-2024 budget cycle. So it's the second or well, the third column in that table up there. Um, the fourth column shows you that we have pretty significant unreserved fund balances in, um, in those funds. And I explain quickly, by unreserved fund balance, we mean um, reserves above either required reserves. So for example, in the health benefits fund, we have a legally required 16 weeks of claims, which is the $1.4 million you can see on the far right. In the fleet fund, we have reserves for um, vehicle replacement as well as an operating reserve, which is dictated by policy. So some of them have policy of 5% of operating costs or 10% of operating costs. So the unreserved fund balance is balances above that those numbers. So staff um, proposal here is to use some of that unreserved fund balance to um, cover the estimated overages in 2024, and then return as part of the 2025-2026 budget process um, with a proposal to make these long-term cost increases more sustainable. That would take um, two forms, well rather what I should say first is, the reason we're proposing this is that increase, the other option for the internal service funds is to increase the rates that other departments pay for them. So these are paid by rates from other departments. Our health benefits fund is a rate that we charge on every employee. The fleet fund, the IT fund, and the facilities fund are funded by the rates. Rate models have various mechanisms, but they are essentially allocated to other departments based on usage. And so the other option would be to increase the usage charges to other departments. That would then impact across the whole budget, and it would have wider impacts in 2024. So partly because of that, and partly because we would like to because we have these unreserved fund balances. Staff is proposing that we we hold steady in 2024 and we make um, changes in 2025. That has two benefits. The first is that we can um, wait to see if the true impact is what we're projecting here. And the second is that it gives staff in those departments and in the finance department time to look at potential policy changes or changes that we can make that could help mitigate those um, rate increases. To give a sense of scale to cover the increases we're looking at here, Uh, we're projecting that 2025 rates would need to increase about 20% for all departments. It's not consistent, IT and facilities would be lower than that. But for fleet and health benefits, we're looking at about a 20% rate increase to catch up to those costs. Okay, so what impact would this have on the forecast? Apologies if the tables are a little small. I tried to get two on the same slide. Um, So, for the general fund forecast, what we've done here is roll in the inflationary adjustments that I talked about and actually make an assumption of 20% rate increases, as well as the revenue changes that I went through earlier in the slide. And so, when we originally proposed the 23-24 budget, the the deficit in 2025-26 was 737,000. In the May retreat, when we had rolled in some of the contract changes, the labor contract changes, that increase had that had increased slightly to just over $1 million. By rolling in the 20% rate increases, as well as accounting for some of the personnel costs, we're now looking at more like $3.5 million in 2025, 2026. Um, a couple of caveats on this, however. Um, the first is that this, does not, this only includes ongoing costs and revenues. So it doesn't include any of our fund balances or reserves or any one-time resources that we may have in 2025, 2026. And so the $3.5 million shown at the bottom of the chart on the right um, does not mean that there's, there will be you know, a negative $3.5 million fund balance in the general fund. We have balances and reserves in the fund. Um, the second is that, this, as I said, this doesn't assume a 20% rate increase to both health benefits, IT facilities, and fleet, and that may not be necessary in all of those funds. And in fact, if we... if if we make policy changes to, in some of those areas, we could see lower rate increases than that. Um, but for now, the, the forecast as presented with the changes in the as part of the mid-buy shows a $3.5 million deficit. Okay, I could pause there, um, because we're about to move into implementation of the 23-24 budget and see if there are any questions on any of the kind of cost trends that we've seen in the current year. <laughs> <laughs> okay so as this is the mid-buy we are midway through the budget cycle and so of the 110 service packages that were approved as part of the um the 2324 budget about 80 percent of them are currently complete or in progress this has been um particularly in positions where, I, as I've said a few times, there's been a real effort to, to get positions hired and get vacancies filled so that work, important work can be done. And in that case, 76% of positions have already been hired, so are in the complete um, category. So. Um, as, I've, as I say, I've mentioned that a couple of times, but there have been some notable successes. Um, for example, the Public Works Maintenance Centre was fully staffed um, a couple of months ago. I think there may be one vacancy now, but that's been the first time in a long time that we've been fully staffed there. Um, Fire Prop 1 hiring has continued, and we have um, brought a lot of new firefighters on board and met the, the, some of the hiring targets from that ballot measure. Um, so there's been a significant shift in our ability and our um, to hire and, and the focus that we've had on it outside of hiring a lot of work is underway on some of the key strategic priorities which is outlined above there's a lot of work around the comprehensive plan and the training capacity at fire station 24 Um, and then finally the the category of not started a a good portion of those a good portion of the of the dollars there are service packages which were either or always designed to be in 2024 or are dependent on the timing of other um, items so for example the impact fee study and the, um, and the general sewer plan are dependent on the timing of the comprehensive plan and the transportation master plan and some of the other planning processes. And so that they haven't started is not necessarily um, a negative thing, it's just the original timing called for them to start in 2024. But the over, kind of overall message here is that um, staff has worked in all departments, has worked really hard to implement the, the additional resources and positions that council granted as part of that budget process. Okay, so um, as part of the mid-biennial update, um, as as we normally do, we have a small number of service packages that the city manager is recommending. um, And these are related to either the city work plan or our one-time investments in staff or other efficiencies. So over the next few slides, I have them presented um, by council goal area. So it'll become obvious as I go through them, but not all the goal areas have service packages associated with them. And so I'm only showing the ones where there are service packages. Um, And as a reminder, the service packages and the adjustments that follow that we're going through now will be brought to council on December 12th for final approval. And so this is just the first time that we're showing them. So inclusive and equitable community. So there are three service packages here. Two are um, one-time resources in the HR department. Which has some um, kind of general applicability, but are focused on um, the growing efforts that the department has on recruiting, public safety recruiting, and diversity recruiting. And so, the, as I've mentioned um, quite a number of times now, we've we've had a lot of success with with hiring in 2024, and it's in and it's put extra additional um, pre- pressure on the human resources department. So those two service packages would extend one-time positions or um, well, one of them would extend a one-time position in the HR department and the second one would hire a one-time res- human resources assistant which would further free up resources with the other HR analysts. Um, additionally there's a service package to better accommodate council conference attendance which, um, which mostly stopped during the COVID pandemic and then this final service package is um, one time now but will be built into the base budget or brought back as a service package for 25-26. Next is community safety. Um, so the first service package shown there is an increase in the support for the community court program. Um, so this is a good time to mention that a lot of these service packages apply to more than one um, service goal area. And if, in the service package forms, which were included with the council packet, the form shows all the, all the council goals that were met with that service package. Um, and so this is one such example. Um, but this this um, this service package increases the FTE support for the community core program from 0.5 to 0.75 and is fully funded with a grant program. The other three service packages are one-time investments in the fire department and are all funded by um, fire prop one balances. So in reverse order, they are uh, address equipment needs on fire engines and the city's um, reserve fire engines, um, provide better controls for inventory, and help the city meet the terms of an MOU that was agreed with the IFF during the recent labor negotiations. Um, So abundant parks, open spaces, and recreational services. So the first two here are the extension of positions that have that supported the development of the 2023 parks ballot measure. Um, this funds the positions through 2024 and they continue their work on implementing pros plans initiatives, um, as well as other um, support areas within the department. The final one represents the, uh, the city's initial efforts to, imp- um, to maintain and improve the newly acquired Fisk Family Park. So the cost shown here is just to fund basic maintenance of the property. So as it says it includes mowing and weeding and other um, kind of standard maintenance It's an estimate from the parks department. Um, as part of the 2025-26 budget staff will prepare a service package that um, implements more of a medium to long-term vision for the property and may include things like irrigation. Um, I also want to mention that Um, Staff are still working to identify some near-term needs, and so they could see some small changes in this service package, as there are some items, uh, potentially a bridge across the creek on the property that are being currently looked at. If there are changes to this, we will highlight that in the December 12th memo, and when we bring it back to council. And the final service package um, is in dependable infrastructure. So the um, the fuel lines at the old fire station 27 as it says, this is phase two. They've been, going under, they've been undergoing replacement for a while, um, and this service package will complete that process. Um, so obviously the fire station, the old fire station 27, is not currently in use, but the fuel lines very much are. They're used by not just fire department, but other departments in the north end of the city. They're open to all city staff, and so rep- um, replacing them has been an important project for the public works department. Okay, so um, moving away from service packages, some other major adjustments were identified in the memo. Um, There's a whole table of them there. I will just walk through some of the ones that I've highlighted above the table. So firstly, um, Parks Levy Fund consolidation. So currently the 2002 Parks Levy goes into a fund um, numbered 125 and the 2012 Parks Levy goes into a fund that's numbered 128. This creates both management and administrative complexities for the parks department who have to split staff time between the two funds, split equipment purchases between the two funds. Um, the original purpose was to uh, delineate between the, two, between the two activities of the two um, levies. However, we have other ways to do that now in our new um, newer accounting system. And so for both the simplicity of the, of the management and also the administration, we can combine the, those two levies into the same fund. We, if needed, would still be able to identify work, um, particularly specific work funded with each, um, with each of the, from each of the levies rather, but that we do not need two separate funds to do this. Um, I should say that the original intention of this was also that it would contain any funding from the, from the 2023 parks ballot measure, but that we were gonna do the work either way. Second one is um, retro payments related to the IFF contract. so. Prior to the recent contract settlement, the firefighters were still being paid at their 2021 rates. So as is standard practice, the city had a um, staffing reserve, a cost of living reserve for um, 2023 and 24 increases. And so that portion of the retro payments is held in that reserve. However, the 2022 portion is currently held in the unreserved general fund balance. And so this adjustment would move that um, from the salaries, uh, rather from the um, general fund working capital into um, the firefighter salary and benefit lines the third one that i'll highlight here is the street fund Um, so there's a few adjustments to um, expenditures shown in the table including the sign bulk uh, material increase um, and the uh, doppler call call dispatch system Um, the street fund as we've talked about at previous council meetings and um, and council retreats has uh, the funding mixture in the street fund has made it um, kind of prone to funding shortfalls in recent years it's largely funded with property taxes um, in it was badly affected by covid when gas taxes fell fell significantly um, as well as parking revenues so although the revenue picture is better in the street fund given that there are adjustments here staff is recommending recognizing an additional hundred thousand dollars in parking infraction revenue above budget in the general funds and transferring that to the street fund so i should say this doesn't This is just based on the estimates that we have for parking infraction revenue. So um, the budget is $700,000, and the estimate is that we'll receive $800,000 this year. So we're proposing transferring that additional $100,000 into the street fund, which will ensure the street fund stability through the end of this, this biennium. So the final piece for me, before I hand over to Kevin for the capital budget, is on the growth in the city's budget and reserves so um in the past 10 years since the adoption of the 2015-2016 budget the overall size of kirkland's budget as you can see there has grown um, by 78 percent so i looked at the budgets of some of our nearby neighbors um, and you can see that kirklands is broadly in line with what other other cities have seen this is um, because and as i'll explain a bit more on the next slide um, this is because of kind of regional trends that have driven growth across across the region and have impacted everybody. Um, The other thing I'll say on this slide is that the total size of each budget is impacted by the amount of what we call double budgeting, which is required as part of governmental fund accounting. What it essentially means is that some revenues are received in one fund and then transferred to another fund and then they get counted twice. So actually an example of that would be the $100,000 I just proposed moving to the street fund. It'll be recognized in the general fund, it would be transferred to the street fund, and both funds would see a $100,000 increase in their revenues. So you have to account for that when you're looking at the total size of the budget. It's actually pretty significant. Um, with that number removed, Kirkland's budget would fall from $1.03 billion across two years to more like 550 million, so it accounts for nearly half the budget. Despite the fact that it, does impact our budget, it also impacts everybody else's budget, and it was as true in 2015-16 as it is now, so it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily impact the comparison between the four cities, um, but it does inflate the, the overall size of all four budgets. Um, so, when I mention the regional trends, I'm particularly talking about large growth in development and the housing market, which has had two significant impacts on our budget. So the first is that revenues associated with development and with the housing market have grown a lot. Um, I think in the memo I mentioned that REIT and impact fees in 2015, 16, we budgeted a total of $13.4 million in those two funds, and it was close to $30 million in, um, in the 23, 24. There's also been pretty substantial growth in our development activity. So revenues from fees and permits related to development have grown a lot in that time as well. So related to this, um, those revenues, particularly um, REIT and impact fees, are restricted to capital expenditures. And so the growth in that development and the the growth in that development has also necessitated infrastructure improvements. So transportation improvements, parks improvements, as well as um, improvements in other capital areas. And so that's also led to a pretty significant growth in the city's CIP, some of which you'll see in the next presentation. So large projects such as the fire station rebuilds, Totem Lake Connector, 132nd Square Park, all represent pretty substantial investments in the CIP that have been made over the last 10 years. So this table on uh, here shows that all of that activity falls into what we call non-operating funds. So the general government operating funds is the general funds, the parks levy funds, the um, development services fund, the utility funds, are related to the utilities. And then the non-operating funds are both the capital revenues as well as our CIP projects and our debt service. So a lot of it is related to capital capital work the city does. And you can see the overall growth by type of fund on the right-hand side of that table. So 165% growth in the non-operating funds compared to 53 and 58% growth in the, the operating and utility funds. So it's where a lot of the growth in the city's budget has occurred. Okay, and then the final slide from me related to the growth in the budget is about reserves. So since 2015, the total city reserves have increased from 147 million to 173 million. Many of those reserves, as it says, are targeted um, at at percentages of other budget items. I mentioned earlier in the presentation having um, targeted reserves in the internal service funds that are a percentage of that budget. So we have a lot of reserves that are are those targets. You'll also notice that $173 million is a smaller percentage of 1.3 billion than 147 is of the 520 million that we had in 2015-16. So even though the total absolute number has grown, the uh, reserves as a percentage of the overall budget have not grown. So this table here shows by group all uh, the four types of reserves that we have. So there's general purpose, which are reserves for a general purpose. So most of those are held in the general fund. Um, And then we have reserves that are restricted um, legally. So I mentioned the health benefits fund. We have a legal requirement to hold 16 weeks of claims in reserves. We also have um, legal requirements around our contingency fund, which is mentioned in the RCW. And then we have reserves which are restricted by RCW. So impact fees um, that are held in reserve can only be used for the purpose that the impact fees were collected. We also then have the largest group, which is spe- special and designated reserves. So these are either set aside for planned uses, so cost of living reserves. So although they are um, general purpose funding, they are planned with a specific idea in mind, in this case, proposed cost of living increases, or they were donated or collected for a stated purpose. So um, a good example of this is we have large fleet replacement reserves. So that funding is collected for, to replace vehicles over a long period of time, for example, our, I think our ladder trucks in fire are like a 15 year replacement, and they're, um, I don't know now, but they're over a million dollars for sure. So, like, we have to hold money for all of those things in long term reserves. So, we have large balances in a lot of these places. And then finally, we have utility reserves, some of which are dictated by policy, and some of which are held similarly in, a, um, in the capital funds for long term replacement of infrastructure. So, we do, um, that's a kind of summary of the four reserves that we have. So, even though we do have Um, $173 million in total, um, a much smaller percentage of that is kind of available for general purpose use. Okay, so this is the end of my presentation. Um, Before I hand over to Kevin, I just want to run through the next steps. Later in this um, meeting, we have a public hearing, both on property tax and on this mid-buy update. On November 21st, um, as required by the King County Assessor, we have to pass an ordinance for our prelim- preliminary property tax levy, and then, as I've mentioned a couple times, adoption of the CIP and amendments is on the December 12th meeting. So, before um, I hand over to Kevin, are there any questions or comments on mid by? No. Wow! <laughs> All right. Great, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, George.
3: Good evening,
4: Council, Madam Mayor. Uh, I have, uh, again, I'm Kevin Pellstring, uh, the Finance Planning Supervisor. I have the second um, study session update on the 2328 Capital Improvement Program for you. Uh, so we're continuing our very exciting uh, study session tonight. Um, I have 10 slides, uh, so please stop me if you have any questions specifically on projects. There's a couple points when uh, I'm asking for council feedback, um, so I'll stop at those and um, pass it back to you. But again, if you have any comments or questions on any specific projects, feel free to stop me. Um, I'm gonna give a brief update on uh, the real estate excise tax uh, and discuss the reserve policy that we that we. Uh, Um, Brought to you at the last study session on September 5th, um, and then move on to some project-by-project updates. Uh, So first is our our summary uh, by program. Um, So this is just showing uh, the changes to the funded CIP and unfunded CIP since the original adoption of the 2328 CIP in December 2022. Uh, the big kind of uh, number there that might draw your eyes, the $12 million increase in the transportation funded, six-year funded CIP number since adoption. Um, that's mainly made up of four different projects. One is the, a new roadway rehabilitation project on 120th Ave near uh, Evergreen Hospital that we brought up in September 5th study session. Uh, additionally, another $1.9 million from the new Juanita Drive scope that came out of the uh, larger to drive project. Um, uh, Two million dollars from the 124th Ave Northeast uh, project, that was additional need, and another 2.3 million that came from uh, the 100th Ave Northeast additional need. So that's the bulk of, of what makes up that, that 12 million dollars change. I'm fighting with this today. Um, so, as I promised a brief update on real estate excise tax, uh, as we discussed in the previous study session, we're monitoring this really closely, uh, given the high interest uh, rate environment and a lot of the uncertainty in the real estate market. Um, because a lot of this this funding goes, or this entirely goes to our capital improvement program, um, it's, a, it's a really important revenue that we need to keep track of and have a, a clear idea of where it's gonna go next year. Um, and it's, a, it's been a uh, major source for funding um, project needs over budget, so uh, it's been one way that we've uh, been able to continue to fund major projects uh, affected by inflation. Um, so through October, REIT receipts are roughly 76% of budget, which is $11 million each year, uh, so definitely running behind budget. Um, we're currently projecting that 2023 will end near 9.5 million uh, and 10 million in 2024. Um, So uh, we'll be uh, a combined two and a half million under budget for the biennium is our expectation. But again, there's so much uncertainty and a lot depends on uh, actions by the Fed uh, and how the the local real estate market uh, responds. Um, So after the approved uses currently in the CIP update, um, the combined REIT reserves are projected to end 2024 at five and a half million. Um, So that is the total of the reserves that's not above any of the policy reserves that we've been discussing. Uh, The REIT reserve policy. Uh, So as discussed at the September 5th um, study session, we got some of your feedback on um, some proposals. So uh, because we are now trying to budget REIT closer to what we actually expect to receive, uh, we wanna make sure that we have um, adequate uh, reserves to, to cover any Uh, dip in the market um, which was immediately tested Um, so the current policy reserves one million dollars in each reit one and two uh, for matching funds and also for any projects uh, costs over um, over the estimates and over the original budget Um, based on your feedback uh, we're proposing the following blended approach which would set up two different uh, reserves within the reit fund uh, the first is a REIT contingency fund, which is a lot like what we have now, um, but instead of being a flat $2 million total, it'll equal 15% of the past five years averaged annual total, so it'll be a running average. Uh, so currently that would put it at 2.2 2 million, so pretty close to what we have now. Um, but it will also have a floor uh, not to fall below $2 million unless instructed by city council. Uh, the second is to establish a new matching fund reserves of $500,000 each in REIT one and two. Uh, And as discussed, that is a a really uh, great opportunity for staff to be able to um, point to existing funding uh, when going out for grant opportunities uh, and will give a lot of flexibility in um, our ability to to find external funding um, without sinking a lot of money into projects that may not get off the ground without those grants. Uh, So staff recommends that uh, we take this approach uh, and that these new reserves be considered with the adoption of the 2025-2030 CIP, um, especially with the uncertainty in the REIT fund.
5: Okay, any discussion? I guess for me, do we have the money?
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we technically do. Part of the reason we're saying we should not actually implement this until the next budget cycle is to see what happens in 2024. Uh, but historically, we would be able to maintain these reserve levels based on what we have seen happen. Um, so we feel good about the policy language, but we didn't feel ready to actually implement and set the money aside until we see what happens in 2024.
5: So that that's the reason sense. we uh,
6: split it. Yeah, just a follow-up on that. So when we look at it in the in the next update of the CIP, we'll be considering how to maybe phase that in potentially because we might not want to to get it, yeah. to those levels all at the same time if we're still facing re- revenue.
1: Well, oh, that's challenges. a great point. That's the kind of thing we wanted to like, talk about options. Yeah, you yeah. step into it. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Kevin. Yes, absolutely.
1: All right. But any concerns with the actual language itself? Again, we wouldn't implement it
4: till. the... Okay. Makes
1: sense. Great, thank you.
4: Uh, now moving into some um, updates by projects so uh, again please stop me if you have uh, any specific questions um, but for transportation a few different moves here um, some are just administrative um, we are moving all of the transportation benefit district implementation debt proceeds so this is the the planned uh, LTGO budget uh, bond issuance in 2024 so moving all of those funds originally they were budgeted over several years based on when we actually expected to spend them we're moving all that to 24 so that all of that will be available to spend when we receive it um, so that project managers will have uh the maximum flexibility to to deliver those projects um, as quickly as as possible given our capacity uh the second is that we're moving uh the northeast 85th state street station uh area transportation in implementation plan, uh, which was previously funded with 300000 of general fund cash to the unfunded program. Um, because there's so much uncertainty in the expected development along the Northeast 85th Street Corridor uh, and finite project capacity, uh, we're recommending that we delay this project until more is known about uh, what direction that development will take. Uh, and then finally, uh, we're moving $264,000 of uh, REIT 2 funding from Transportation Benefit District Project to the Juanita Drive Multimodal. Uh, this is recognizing that they have overlapping uh, scopes within both of those projects, um, and that this is the, the most efficient way to deliver. Um, I think it's two different, or one uh, pedestrian crossing um, that was a, uh, identified as a high priority project within the Safer the Safe to School Action Plan. So this is a way to, to make sure we're doing that as quickly as possible along with another larger project. Uh, we're also recognizing uh, six hundred oh, thousand. I have yeah, a man, question.
5: Man, just yeah. yeah, go ahead, John. Thank you.
6: A question about the Northeast City Street History Station Area Implementation Plan. So, in the in our CIP, we have in Attachment A, we have about eighteen million funded in twenty twenty five to implement various projects throughout the station area plan, and then in twenty twenty seven, we have another two and a half million. How how does delaying the implementation plan affect those cap- those capital projects, or does it? And how is it related, I guess, to those?
4: Yeah, um, I think you're referring to the developer-funded projects. Yeah, the developer. You? Funded. Um, so, this, I think, Rod, you might be able to help. Um, but I think that the the original thought for this funding was around projects that uh, the city was actually going to be um, constructing. So I think this is mainly around we don't want to go in and. Um, build infrastructure before that development is going to occur. Um, we definitely flagged uh, the developer projects and all of the, the station area plan projects in the CIP as something that we want to um, revisit with the 2025-2030 CIP with really holistic uh, expectations and uh, you know another year of, of development um, activity there. That'll give us a better idea of where is this going and, and when do we need to be prepared. So this isn't about just completely not doing that work but it's about okay we need to make sure that uh we're putting our, our limited uh staff time towards that when we have um those projects coming up Do you have anything to add? Okay. okay
6: okay so the developer funded projects are unrelated in the in the stationary plan are unrelated to this implementation plan they're related but yeah that planning
4: is more around the the city constructed projects
6: It'd be it'd be good to understand that a little bit more because you, because one would think that um, those developer funded projects would also be impacted by the same issues that are impacting this implementation plan.
4: Definitely, we can follow up on that and give you a little bit more of a a, a more comprehensive picture on that.
5: Is this more in, intended for for you know the infrastructure fixes that we have planned
1: for? So I think it's a great idea for us to bring back a more detailed explanation for the December meeting or even at the November 21st meeting. So my understanding was that these were about the coordinated ones. So this is what we would do when they were doing theirs. And since there's not a theirs yet, we were like, we should push this off until we know when that's coming. But what we should do is go through for the council, what were those projects and how were they related so you can see them. Thank you. It was about being done at the same time in a complimentary fashion with the major investments by the developers.
5: Great. Great. Go ahead, Kevin. Okay.
4: Um, So a couple of other smaller items. Uh, One, not so small, uh, recognizing a $600,000 grant that we received for a project as part of the Transportation Benefit District implementation which is on northeast 124th street over the 405 sidewalk uh, there's a couple of uh ped and bike um sorry ped and bike improvement crossing improvements and rfbs that we got funding for um and we're transferring 22,000 uh to the totem lake gateway for some final uh, wetland uh, credits as well as 33,000 um from the street fund at uh, 2324 service package uh, for some parking sensors and making sure that that funding is going to the, the annual striping program where those are being paid out of all right so a uh, couple updates on transportation projects and i have rod here in case any specific questions come up but uh, the council discussion at the october 17th meeting on the northeast sorry the 124th ave northeast pedestrian improvement options um staff agreed that we'd come back with some some funding um, options for the 270,000 dollar interim improvements on the west side of 124th ave northeast uh in the event that the developer private developer doesn't um uh do that first um so one update is that rod told me before the meeting um that that 50 percent of uh, the improvements on the west side of 124th ab northeast are actually already have already been completed by the city so um so we do still need that funding um but a lot of that work has happened very quickly did you want to add anything yeah so it's the
7: intersection at 124th and 100th that northwest corner uh so that segment just kind of kitty corner with the fire station uh that's complete right now okay
4: great uh, so a couple of options here, and again, this is just in the event that the private developer doesn't complete that, which we should know uh, sometime early next year. Uh, but staff does recommend that we use the current project balance and uh, the 23 and 24 budget um, from the Vision Zero Safety Improvement Project. Uh, another option is to use just re 1 to fund that um, in 24. I don't know if council has any specific comments on that.
5: Best approach. Great like you guys can go with your best decision
4: okay sounds good noted um and then finally one other note on um on transportation projects we do have bid openings for the One to drive and 124th northeast improvements uh, scheduled in november so you'll see two big uh likely we'll see two big ward uh, two large bids awarded um at the december 12th meeting so um don't be surprised by that uh as I heard from Rod that we have a lot of interest and a lot of bids for both of those projects, which is really exciting. All right. Uh, And, oh my goodness, sorry. I don't know what is happening. Okay, for the water sewer and uh, surface water utilities, uh, we're transferring some funding um, as a result of a fiscal note in, uh, on October 3rd uh, for the 5th and 8th uh, water main replacement project. So this is just putting that into the CIP um, and then also recognizing 500,000 of um, KCF FCD grant funding for the Goat Hill drainage ditch conveyance and channel stabilization project. Um, And one uh, project update, so again, this is not something that has already been put into the proposed CIP that you've seen in attachment A, um, but something we wanted to provide um, a discussion on and get your feedback on. Um, So staff is currently reviewing whether to use uh, $2.2 million of of the water sewer uh, reserves to fund construction of a um, water main project on 122nd Avenue, um, which would be um, concurrent with uh, two different um, surface water projects on 122nd Ave um, that are scheduled for funding in 23 and 24. Uh, it's currently an unfunded project, but it was previously prioritized and already designed um, back in 2018 and 2019. Um, so the design is complete, um, but once we went to bid, uh, decided to prioritize other schedules in that bid um, and put it back on the unfunded list. So. Um, we're this is a large project, um, and we wanted to bring it to you to get some, some comments on it. Um, and the one thing I will say is that uh, Ron and I were discussing it earlier, and uh, we he expects that we would save between 10 and 15 percent on um, actually implementing and construction by doing all these projects simultaneously. Uh, it would reduce um, extra nuisance to the surrounding public and residents, um, but. And the design is already complete, so we wanna take advantage of that while that's still um, active. Um, So we can provide a further update in the December adoption memo, um, if that's determined that there is an urgent need, but that is definitely on the top of the list of um, currently unfunded um, water projects. So um, bring it to you, Madam Mayor or Council, if you have any questions or comments on that project in particular, we have Rod here to answer too.
1: I guess the only thing I would add to it is, part of the reason we didn't say like, hey, let's just do this is it is such a large amount, and it's a it's a large chunk of what we have set aside in the reserve, so we're just trying to make sure that it's makes sense to do it now. There's a lot of reasons why it's really better to do it now, but it is just a large, large cost.
4: So. And I would add that we currently have, uh, we're projecting the ending 2024 balance of the water sewer uh, reserves at about 5.8 million. Um, but a lot of that is tied up uh, or is connected to the west of market debt funding that was being considered when we did rate modeling and the South Reservoir project. So
5: that was the one question I had was about the Market Street project.
4: Yeah. So uh, based on the update that we provided on September fifth, we think that project will be will cost significantly less. But um, it will be helpful to to kind of look at all of this um, together when we start the rate modeling process too.
5: Uh, Councilmember Mayor Black.
4: Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, so just real quick, what is the
8: source of revenue for replenishing the fund? It's utility rates, so water rates. Okay. Which are for currently forecasted above budget?
4: Uh, I think... I think that they're expected right around budget, but uh, the funding that actually goes from the Water Sewer Operating Fund uh, to the, the Capital Fund is based on a depreciation schedule, um, which is just based on how many assets we have uh, for both the water and sewer utilities. So that portion is is kind of um, finite or, or already determined um, based on, on that rate model and, and the depreciation schedule. Okay, that makes sense, thanks. The utility
1: tax, was mentioned earlier, is higher than projected, but the utility rate revenue is not. Gotcha.
2: In the utility funds, most of the variability is on the expenditure side. The rates are pretty close to budget. Most Closer time.
1: to the mic there, George.
2: Sorry. So in the utility funds, the um, variability tends to be on the expenditure side. So the, the utility rates themselves are pretty close to budget. Um, as the city manager said, the utility taxes are above budget mostly because of the private utilities, which are the electric and gas. Um, but we've had significant cost savings over time in water projects not sure if it's so true anymore but that's where we get a lot of the variability in those funds from is on expenditures
4: okay thank you go ahead Gavin all right moving on to the last couple of slides Uh, for facilities We've transferred, uh, so as a result of the September 5th fiscal note, we're just reflecting that uh, this is the purchase of the 6th Street property acquisition uh, via an Interfund loan from the Surface Water Operating Fund for the Fisk Family Park. Uh, We're swapping $3.8 million of parks impact fees and $500,000 of REIT 1 with general fund cash in the Houghton Park and Ride Acquisition Project uh, that was in the October 17th fiscal note. Um, alongside the purchase authorization memo, Um, so that means there's no net funding change in those. Um, And just a note on that, uh, that funding, obviously for parks, impact fees, and REIT one, are both um, tied to the eventual use of that property, so we'll definitely continue to take a look at that once we've uh, determined its final use. Um, Adding 82,000 of REIT one to fund the Kirkland Performance Center HVAC system, Um, out of the allotment already uh, set aside for the, the KPC um, rigging system, I believe it is. Sorry, I forgot the name of that project. (laughs) It's a large project that we're um, contributing some funding for. Uh, And then finally, we're adding 395,000 for the City Hall Space Densification Project uh, to cover the cost of installation and materials and upgrades for uh, the IT parks and community services and some shared spaces. Um, in City Hall so that's a, an ongoing project to, to make use of our existing space within City Hall and make sure that we have space for our growing uh, staff um, so as George mentioned next steps uh, we have the um, uh, the final adoption of the 2023-28 CIP update along with the mid by uh, budget adjustments on December 12th um, so we can definitely take back any feedback um, and we'll bring back any final changes, uh, especially related to those uh, large bids that will be awarded. Any other questions or comments?
5: Uh, Council Member Pascal.
4: Thank you, Madam Mayor. Yeah, just a couple
6: a couple questions, probably one, one for Rod I, and Kevin, probably one for you. Um, on the grant funding that was received from for the 124th Avenue, sidewalks Mm -hmm. across four or five of six hundred thousand my understanding is that's for design um, not for construction of those is that that's correct
7: um i do believe that that is um actually for the construction and implementation of that project as well but i'll double check that
6: okay i think um in the transportation ad hoc we we had, that was one of the questions about whether that was design money. Just
7: the grant money for that design yeah, yeah. or the whole project?
6: If the grant money was just for the design.
7: Oh, yeah, I'll double check on that. That yeah. that could be the grant allocated just to the design could be um, the whole project, though, um, is for the implementation. And I
6: think what I, what I understood from that was that that was funded through some federal grant program and that typically those projects that are funded for design then will be good candidates then to get grant funding for construction, uh, to come back Yeah, construction dollars. That's
7: typically true, yeah.
6: And so the question is, is is, are we accounting for that in our CIP budget, or how do we account for that? And that would free up money then from the Safe Routes to School, or the TBD funding, then to reallocate for other projects, correct?
1: At, At some point.
7: I suppose that could be true,
1: yeah. So your point is, we should assess that to say, hey, if we're gonna maybe qualify for some additional dollars, how could we reallocate what's already there—the local match? Correct. Yeah, yeah, we can. And how? When would that be done? And
6: how is it after we construct all of them, see if there's leftover money, and then we're, and then, and then assess. Um, it's just it's something to think sure. about. Um,
1: so we'll it, talk about that. Free, we can bring that back. Free up yeah. money bring that road. back too. Yeah, absolutely.
5: I mean, isn't it kind of a constant churn in terms of grants coming in, qualifying late, getting it through the capital right? Yeah, but process. it's
6: TBD, that specific kind of money that we're allocating towards right, specific right. projects. So, yeah. And for specific types
7: of projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can bring that back.
6: Just... That was just a question. And then the second one was about, um, oh, yeah. So I, I, actually I compared attachment A detailed list of funded projects that was in the packet compared to the one when we last saw it back in, actually December last year. And the one project that I saw that was funded um, that we didn't talk about and I wanted to understand what it was, was 120th Avenue Preservation. That wasn't on the funded list in December. Now it's on the funded list now. And so I was wondering if you could talk about what that project is.
7: Yeah, that's that's um it totem lake from 128th to 132nd, uh rehabilitating or prior to rehabilitating the road, it's the preservation of the roadway there.
4: So that's in front of the hospital there. Right?
7: Yep. Yeah. Okay. Great,
4: thank you. I was just gonna add that we did include that in the September 5th study session, so there's a, a brief blurb in that memo um, yeah, right. that might give you a little bit more information, too. I missed that, then. Thank you. It's all good. All right. Hey, you done? I'm done. Thank you very much.
5: Good job. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you for the update, and we'll have the hearing in just a little bit, right? That's correct. Okay. So back to you, City Manager, you want to talk about the letter? All
1: right. So since we do have a little bit of time, um, although we can't take action in the study session, I wanted to talk with the council about the potential letter to the SEA pick that's also meaning at the same time. Um, I sent you a version earlier this morning, and then I just sent an updated version about an hour ago. Uh, so Diana Hart has been checking in with our two King County Council reps, uh, Claudia Balducci and Rod Dabowski, about this. turns out since we learned about it, and sent a letter yesterday, they actually acted last night. So the King County Council has actually passed their full resolution. Um, <laughs> and so the original letter said, hey, hold off until we can talk to you. Um, so the, the I don't have a slide for this, but I did forward to you all an email with an updated letter. And so what we did in the um, updated letter is we just modified it to say, uh, I'll actually read it to you. We learned today that the King County Council passed the resolution on Tuesday, uh, November 7th, we believe that PIC and the SEA board should consider requesting that the county executive defer any response to the resolution until there can be a more focused conversation with the Sound Cities Association about the levy. So basically addressing it to the executive since that's now where it is. Um, a couple things I wanna say about the letter and then I'll open it up for uh, questions or comments. The intent here is not to say we're opposed to a climate change levy um, or for it either, right? It's basically to say, as a city, we're learning about this now. It's something that Council King County Council is proposing. Um, it suggests in the resolution to have a billion dollars over a six to eight year period, funded by property tax, for climate. And as we highlight in the letter, uh, there's a lot to talk about with that. So, including the fact that you know uh, many residents throughout the county are feeling uh, burdened by taxes. Um, the second issue that's highlighted in the letter is that. Uh, The state has uh, made it known that they have about a billion dollars worth of money generated by their own climate act, and that that would be invested similarly to the ideas in this uh, local initiative. And then finally we highlight that something else to consider that could also be extremely beneficial for climate, but also could help address some of the previous issues we've been working on is is to consider a housing levy, an affordable housing levy um, as kind of a win-win that would both advance the ball on climate, but also address some of the issues that many of you worked on <laughs> this past year with the affordable housing um, subgroup and the GMPC. So, um, and the letter concludes by simply saying, once again, we should ask the executive if they'll partner with SCA as we assess all these things, rather than just simply send a response to the King County Council with a proposed levy. So, um, so that's the intent of the levy, It's to, it's to be, uh, focusing on partnerships, looking at options, not making any decisions, but just highlighting that this is this is a big deal and it probably needs further discussion, and asking if the SCA would agree to do something like that with us. So, with that, I'll open it up for questions.
5: Or comments? I think we're basically in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> Deputy Mayor Arnold.
9: Thank you, Madam Mayor, and th- thank you for the Um, work by staff and the scrambles. We're learning about this and trying to respond. Given that the full county council's acted, I I do think that we're bringing up important points, but um, I think the tone of the letter could change to be saying, instead of slow down because it's clear that this is moving forward, more of saying how to make this package better as the executive builds it. You've got good points here in saying uh, there needs to be housing in the levy, and to try to refocus a climate proposal uh, to have a significant housing element. I think is is right on that we need need to um, need to do. But I would actually change some things, like uh, in the second paragraph, not going as far as deferring any final action, but putting this more as a feedback on what should be in the levy. Um, and uh, having more conversations with SCA about that. Um, also, the um, uh, the one, two, three, four, fourth paragraph talking about the Climate Commitment Act. Uh, I think the points are are well said that there is money there, um, and I like the point about being um, complementary rather than redundant. But I don't think necessarily our message should be wait. Um, That's in the last sentence there. So I I guess those are are some tone changes that I'd want to consider, given what we're just learning right now. Thank you.
1: So as an example to say, rather defer response, say the county executive include the sound cities in any development of the levy, something like that? Um,
5: That would work for me. I do think they should wait. I think every single opportunity we get, we are asking for more tax money from our... And and we experienced it last night. I mean, there is a resistance to all of this. And the fact of the matter is, there's already that billion dollars sitting out there. So I would like to encourage the county to be creative in working with the state and with SCA around how we can access those dollars in a way that that, you know, has a climate impact because it's housing, local housing. I don't know if that's, there's a way to do both those things, but.
10: Any other discussion?
5: Council Member Curtis.
10: Thank you, Madam Mayor, and I do agree with you in that our community very clearly said last night, let's don't increase property taxes. And I understand that Council Member Dombowski has been working on this for a couple of years, but unfortunately, It just came to my attention last week when we received the pick packet. Um, I heard the deputy mayor talk about let's incorporate housing in this package, and we do understand that responding to climate change and reducing single occupancy vehicles is a housing issue. That seems complicated to do it this way. So um, so I'm with the mayor, and it is wait. Let's have a a bigger conversation about what our objectives are, not only as a region, but as a state. And again, this Climate Commitment Act money is available, and we don't have a plan for how it's going to be used. So I do think it's worthwhile to just say, let's have a larger conversation about this before we move forward. So that's where I
1: am.
11: Anybody else?
1: So the concept here would be to uh, make some amendments and bring this back for action at the very beginning of the council meeting mm-hmm. um, at 7.30, and that way it could be given to the PIC while they're meeting. Um, so one of the things I could do is uh, take a shot at incorporating um, some proposed changes and bring them back and track changes for so the council can look at it at 7.30 and then make it a, yeah. um, one possible way to thread the needle of the comments would be um, maybe some such as, like, an option such as a housing levy or an option such as including housing and a climate levy i mean the, that might be a way to articulate some different options without picking one if if the council would feel that would be helpful
5: oh council member curtis
10: i love how you threaded that needle there yeah
1: thank
10: you <laughs> um so does pick know that does david hoffman and brian know this letter's coming
1: You know, I actually don't know the answer to that question. I I don't know if Diana's watching. I do. Um, We did. David
10: Hoffman does know. Okay. Because I think it would be good if we're going to make an effort to get it to them tonight that they know it's coming. So
5: At the North End Mayor's meeting Mm -hmm. yesterday, I brought up the subject and indicated that we would be having some kind of a communication
10: coming. Hot off the presses. Okay. Thank you.
1: But I think with some modest changes, I can incorporate your thoughts, and I can show them to you at at seven thirty, and see if that works for the council.
5: Excellent. With that, I think uh, Great. we get to break early, and we will yeah. see you all at seven thirty. Thank you very much. We are back in session following a study session for updates on the 2023-2024 mid-biennial budget and the 2023-2028 capital improvement program. Before we start with our regular meeting, we are going to take a brief couple of moments to consider a letter that has to go out uh, within the next half hour. City Uh, Manager.
1: Thank you, Madam Mayor. So a couple of quick updates on this. So the first is that the... uh, uh, so Diana Hart, our government affairs manager, is gonna put up the letter with the with the draft edits. She was attending the PIC. The PIC actually did not have a quorum, so they um, are concluding their business for today, but we didn't tell them that such a letter was being considered and it might come. We also have an SCA board meeting, I believe is on November 15th, but the, the uh, SCA PIC is actually adjourned for the night. Uh, so just want to make sure you know that before we take this up. So what we have here, I sent you all this letter, but. Um, Diana and Carmen put it on, nice letterhead, so this would be the official version. And I had it in track changes, I deleted the yellow um, highlight that I had before. So a couple things, you can see in my track changes. First is we uh, saw that it's actually a motion, King County does a motion on a resolution, so I changed that. Um, we also found out that the council did amend the motion uh, to soften a little bit by saying if a levy is proposed, so throughout some of it they said if proposed, it should, if proposed. so. I want to make sure we highlighted that. Um, So then as the discussion happened to the council, uh, I'm suggesting the language that we believe the board and and PIC should consider requesting that as the King County Executive is evaluating any response to this motion, the Executive include a more focused conversation with the sound cities about the levy. Um, You can then see going down the other change I propose is any regional initiative, instead of saying should wait, any regional initiative should acknowledge the state funds and strive to be complementary rather than redundant, as my proposed language. And then again, down below that, you can see a proposed saying options such as including affordable housing in the climate levy or proposing a dedicated affordable housing levy could be a true win win. So acknowledging it could be either way. Um, and then, because of that, um, if it was blended, I proposed changing the language from one billion to you know hundreds of millions, <laughs> assuming there'd be some sort of split. Um, and then finally, prioritizing affordable housing in a countywide levy would also be a dramatic investment in reducing emissions. So again, trying to say not exactly how would you do it, but noting it. Um, and then at the very end, asking the executive departments in developing a response to the motion and finding a path for it together. So, um, with that, I'd be happy to answer questions or, or get comments or
5: okay,
12: potential amendments. Diana,
1: they be able to amend it on the fly, if you have. <laughs>
12: so. um, Council Member Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, thank you for making these um, edits, City Manager. I think you did a good job of threading that needle. Um, just a couple of comments. Um, my, my first is a very minor um, point is in our um, Dear SCA Pick Committee. Pick ha- the C is committee, so I would just say Dear SCA Pick. Um, to avoid that redundancy. And then uh, the other is I think we should be as specific as we can as to what our ask is of SCA, the pick and or the board. Um, In our last sentence, we ask uh, for the SCA pick and SCA board to ask King County Executive. We could potentially propose, you know, uh, to write a letter, for SCA to write a letter or something Mm -hmm. of that nature. I anticipate that we're going to be asked specifically what we want them to do. So I think... Either leaving the sentence as is, and then saying such as, you know, adding a such as a letter, um, or being very specific that we are in our ask to send a letter or something of that nature. Okay. I'm leaving that to, okay. if council's okay with that, for you to wordsmith. Arnold?
5: Well,
1: <coughs> so if we okay with that concept, I think it mm. makes sense. Um, Further, suggestions Madam. or edits.
9: <laughs> I just wanted to let the the whole body know I was able to have a conversation with Councilmember Dombowski during our break. I know he reached out to several council members, and he emphasized a couple of points. One was um, communicated in the city manager's summary of the motion language that the motion really talks about kicking off this process, having a, sh- a stakeholder process, uh, wanting to get, get input on what this is. And uh, Council Member Dabowski really emphasized this is the beginning of the process and uh, sounded genuinely open to, to feedback on how to make this work. Uh, given what the, the conversation I had with him and what we have in this letter uh, right here, I think we are hitting the right message of saying you know, we, we really believe housing is important. Um, both because of our agenda and its impact on climate. And we are sensitive to what we're hearing uh, from voters and wanna uh, have that conversation. Great. So I am total in, in support of um, sending the letter we see before us. I would, um, given that we don't know when uh, SCA would act, I would ask that we copy the SCA board on this uh, because it may not go through. Action at this point it may not go through PIC, it may happen directly by the board. Thank you.
5: And, and can I just make one additional suggestion? And just bouncing off of Councilmember Falcons, I think it should read Dear SCA Public Issues Committee. You can so, put PIC in parentheses and <clears throat> the season,
1: do whatever. I, I apologize, I did write it quickly, so I.
12: <laughs> go ahead. Thank you, Madam Fair Mayor, point. for allowing me to speak again as we're thinking through this on the fly. Um, Given what um, Deputy Mayor said, um, and also given that in our last sentence we're asking something of both SCA PIC and the SCA Board, I would propose that we actually write it to PIC and the Board, dear SCA Public Issues (laughs) Committee and Board. Thank you.
5: you were anticipating that, I see. uh,
12: Diana's
9: Diana's at the keys here. She's she's awesome. She's fast.
5: Okay, are we good with this?
9: I apologize. One other point, Councilmember Dubowski did say he would be happy to come before our, our, us at a future council meeting to talk about uh, this in more detail.
5: Great. Um, can I get a motion
12: then? Councilmember Falcone. I move that we approve this letter as appears on the screen. Is that good enough?
5: Mm-hmm. It's been moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Curtis to approve the letter we have just been presented as corrected or That's as amended. Correct.
1: And I'll we'll make that final change at the very end as well.
5: Great. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Uh, opposed? Motion carries unanimously. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, and this takes us now to our <coughs> communications agenda and items from the audience this is the time in our meeting when we normally hear from the public on matters that are not quasi-judicial or scheduled for a public hearing we do have a public hearing this evening it is item 6a proposed 2023-2024 mid-biennial budget and property tax levy increase on other issues please limit your remarks to three minutes and the council will receive up to three comments each on both sides of each issue If you are present either in person or virtually and would like to address the Council during this items from the audience period, please sign up using the online public comment instruction link or in person using the posted QR code. For those who are participating by phone, please dial star 9 to be recognized to speak. Community members will be called in the order in which they signed up. Items from the audience is an important part of our business meeting and we ask that everyone be treated with kindness and respect. We ask that you please not clap or applaud after a speaker or express your disagreement with a speaker. We want everyone in Kirkland to feel welcome expressing their viewpoints, regardless of content. Because they can be disruptive, signs and placards are not allowed in council chambers during our meetings, regardless of their content. Uh, With that, City Clerk.
0: We have three people signed up to speak this evening. The first speaker is Rachel Freund followed by Alex Zimmerman and Susan
5: Davis. And is Ms. Freund remote or here? Well, there you
11: are. Welcome. Thank you. My name is Rachel Freund. I live on the border of Totem Lake and Wanita. I'm a physician and a mother. I'm here to advocate for the preservation of the wetland at the corner of 116th Way Northeast and Northeast 128th Street in Totem Lake, just across 405 from Evergreen Hospital. I appreciate the hard work you do trying to balance the development of our area with the needs of the residents. I'm sure it's a difficult job. My family has benefited from the amenities at the new Totem Lake Village shopping area, the new parks and the new pedestrian bridge. We've also suffered from development. We live in a typical residential neighborhood and our backyard is fully fenced, but I can't let my toddler play in it anymore without close supervision, because we frequently have bobcats and deer with sharp antlers in our yard now which have been displaced from their habitat by construction of the new senior apartment complex. It's very stressful to feel like my kids aren't even safe in their own fenced backyard. Also, the workers building the new high voltage power lines have cut down three uh, mature deciduous trees that used to shade our yard and house. When the heat of summer comes, my kids won't be able to play in the backyard during much of the day, and we're probably going to have to get another portable air conditioner to cool our house, which will then use more electricity. And I don't know what we'll do during the smoke season when we can't even use the AC. A mature tree can provide enough oxygen and remove enough carbon dioxide in a year to support a family of four. There were at least 30 mature trees cut down to build the power lines, some needlessly, and even more have been cut down for the two freeway interchange projects. I have lived in Washington my entire life. It wasn't until a few years ago that we started having a smoke season every summer, and never until this year have I seen the cedar trees turning brown and dying. We must take heed and prepare our community for the climate change onslaught that is accelerating. Which brings me to the proposal to drain the wetland at 116th and 128th and turn it into a seven-story apartment building. Even though it's not a very large wetland, it is significant. Wetlands are extremely valuable. They filter our air, our water, help prevent flooding, and help buffer the kinds of extreme weather that we are seeing more and more frequently. Not to mention the mental health benefits of having a green space right in the middle of what is becoming a concrete and metal landscape. I don't want to see us lose another valuable resource of trees and plants in this wetland. I understand that the proposed apartment building is to provide affordable housing for seniors, which is a noble goal. But I hope that another site can be found. Perhaps with everyone working from home now, since office buildings are going empty, one might become available at a cheaper price. Or perhaps another option is the Totem Lake Hotel property that has been vacant for so long. On behalf of our environment and our health and safety, I ask you to consider well and take what steps you can to preserve one of our valuable natural resources, the wetland at 116th Way Northeast and Northeast 128th Street in Totem Lake. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you, Dr.
0: The Next speaker is Alex Zimmerman, followed by Susan Davis. Thank you.
5: Welcome, Mr. Zimmerman.
13: Thank you very much. <coughs> Zeke Kyle, my dirty damn Nazi fascist and anti-Semite. My name is Alex Zimmerman. I live in Bellevue for more than 35 years. Yesterday, 20% voted for me. 20% voted for me and for Trump. It's a huge percentage. It's okay. 20% surprised me. I think maybe a little bit more or less, but this surprised me. But who's this 80% who voted for my opposition Democrat? It's approximately 12,000 people. So, this 12,000 people is this not exactly about value. It's a v- problem what is we have right now in King Country, in Seattle, you know what is in this Democratic Foundation. Approximately 8%, this approximately same percentage, what is German Nazi in Soviet commie, a member of party. We don't have a registration of Democrat, but German Nazi economy have registration. So this approximately same percentage. What does this mean? It means we have a mafia, a Nazi organization who control us for many years. Guys, for this I told you, Seattle, in, in country, number one fascist city in America. It's my losing, what I spoke before, stop Seattle fascism with idiotic face. But, Seattle have Totally different reaction right now. I think this will be beginning, you know what it means, stopping democratic mafia, because they re-elect all Amos consul. You understand what it means? It's never happened to me. I have 12 elections before, and many in Seattle, you know what it means. Yeah, absolutely. So situation very interesting for me, because we are thinking it's a beginning of end of democratic mafia. Maybe not my part... Uh, Lifetime, you know what it means? But this slow, boy, slow, we come back to normal America, what is all America. Because in country, is a very unique situation. Nobody in America, no one country in America, 85% vote for Democrat. You know what is, I mean? The same percentage, and I told you before, vote for Adolf Hitler <laughs> in Soviet Union, Come. You know what it I means? But this 8% is a foundation who control us. Guys, what does this mean? This means another uh, thousand and thousand people, they scared moving. You know what this means? It's not because they're lazy. No, they're scared. Because when you have a fascism or communism, you know what this means? You don't want to step up in doing something. You cannot stand up because you're scared. It's normal reaction, human beings' reaction. But begin and start right now. In Seattle, election show right now. Democratic mafia can be stopped. Thank you, Mr. End Zimmerman. Up, your time is up. Yes, yeah, thank you very much. And
5: my apologies on behalf of the council for if anybody um, was upset by Mr. Zimmerman's comments.
0: <laughs> the next speaker is Susan Davis, who is virtual.
14: Hello, Council. Um, thank you for um, serving our community. And uh, I apologize, if you're sometimes the public council, the uh, public comment is not great. I uh, am actually one of the persons that loves that we put things on the ballot, and that we are able to, um, as a community vote on important matters. Uh, for example, the prop one as you guys know, 38% pass 62% say no, it's going to fail. I was supportive of the no side of Prop 1. Um, I really feel like the uh, city council did not listen to um, the voters, the community. Uh, and you know, Of course, you know, in 2015, it failed miserably. It was a me- metropolitan park district. It only got about 35% of the vote. This new round in 2023, it was just as bad. Uh, you guys didn't listen to the community. Uh, the, the exploratory uh, committee was very limited on the questions they could ask and everything. It was very controlling. Um, I feel like the city wasted a lot of tax dollars, created a lot of stress for people, uh, a lot of fixed income people, a lot of low income people uh, that are a paycheck, two, pe- two paychecks away from paying their mortgage or, or losing their job or whatever. Um, I feel like the city uh, hopefully you guys have learned from this and i think that a successful community relies on a two-way dialogue between residents and the city council and you guys do not need to just listen to your special interest groups or your close friends i feel like you need to have more of a collaborative environment with the residents your guys' um, i don't know surveys you did not listen to the 2021 survey about What would you want in an aquatics facility? A lot of people do not have these items that you guys added to this huge aquatics facility. They also wanted a bond. And I understand this is a very expensive facility, not going to break even. Well, guess what? That's why a lot of cities are not building these facilities, because they make no sense. The city and city council's unwillingness to partner with the YMCA because they think they could do things best themselves. I don't think so. I was part of the Bellevue Y and, of course, North Shore. I also went to the Newport YMCA in Sammamish. We wouldn't go there on Sundays because the Sammamish YMCA, I don't know if it still is because we're no longer members of the YMCA. We go to LA Fitness. It's like $30 a month, but it was free for Sammamish residents from like 10 a.m. to 4 on Sundays, which is great, right? So that was one of the win-wins for the community. I feel like the city council, if you look at the yes proposition disclosure, it's the whole payroll of the executives and city council. You guys were pushing this so hard. You have left such a bad taste in taxpayers uh, and citizens uh, mouth, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, yes, it seems like the incumbents are probably going to win um, their reelections, which is great. I believe that voting is the powerful tool we have, but it's also monitoring and making sure that you guys are doing what you need to do for us. So use those funds that you guys have. Use them for sidewalks. You've been squirreling them away to try to utilize these reserves to build this pool. But you were going to build it via a different mechanism, right? Because Thank you, you Ms. Just Davis. I'm sorry, your time is up. From this, this uh, Ms. Davis? levy lift and pay for the bond. Please and-
5: feel free to communicate further w- with us via email. Thank you. We have no other speakers signed up. Is there anyone else who would like to address the council? Seeing none, I'm going to declare this items from the audience period closed. Which takes us to item number six, our public hearing. This is the 2023-24 mid biennial Budget and Property Tax Levy Increase. This is a public hearing to receive public comments on the 2023-24 mid-biannual budget and property tax increase. I will now open the public hearing. Uh, City Manager.
1: Okay. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So to provide a little context for the public hearing, we have a brief presentation about the uh, mid-biannual budget and the property tax levy increase, and that will be made by our Financial Planning
2: Manager, George Dugdale. Thank you, City Manager. Uh, Good evening again, Mayor and Council Members. Let me just pull up the share the screen here. Okay, there we go. Okay, so as as, you, as we said, this is a brief presentation to introduce the public hearing on the Mid by CIP and property tax for 2024. So we have. Um, a financial update very briefly which will touch on some of the same things as the presentation in the in the study session a list of service packages as well as the capital improvement program changes both of which again were mentioned in the um in the study session earlier this evening as background, we are required to do um, a mid by update to our biennial budget uh, per RCW, which needs to happen between September and December of the first year. Uh, the modifications will be made by the Council by, via ordinance in December. We are also required to do a revenue public hearing every year, even though we have a two-year budget. And this revenue hearing must include consideration of any property tax increases, as you can see at the bottom of this slide. So, the next two slides are very similar to slides that were in the presentation earlier and are also in the memo from KEFRA Council. Sales taxes are anticipated to be at budget in 23 and ahead of budget in the second year of the biennium. Property taxes, um, as as I want to highlight these as they're a key part of the public hearing, um, they're assumed to be at budget, which includes our optional 1% increase in 24, as well as an assumption of 1.5% of new construction, um, which is allowable under, under state law. And we also have increases in investment interest and utility taxes, and our business taxes, as discussed earlier, are below budget, but are closer to budget than they were when we did our council retreat in May. On the expenditure side in the general fund, um, we are currently over budget due to personnel expenditure estimates, which are higher than originally anticipated. um, And because non-personnel costs are very close to budget, reflecting high inflation and cost increases as staff have been working to complete priorities and we also have fewer vacancies. Um, The third bullet point there is key. As we have a two-year appropriation, immediate action is not required. However, we will be bringing forward action in 2024 to ensure that the city doesn't finish the biennial period above budget on the expenditure side. Um, So just, this is a new slide that wasn't here earlier. So this is the revenue changes that were considered as part of the budget when it was adopted in late 2022. So there's no new revenues proposed as part of this mid-buy. The planned increases include a 1% increase, um, the optional 1% increase to property tax, the new vehicle license fee, which is a $20 car tab, which goes into effect on January 1st. And the table there at the bottom shows the um, utility rate increases as adopted in October 2022. So finally, uh, getting towards the end, this is a list of the city manager recommended service packages, which are, 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 which are recommended as part of this mid-biennial update. The funding sources is about a million dollars of service packages, almost all of which is one time. The funding sources are primarily investment interest above budget. Um, the FIRE service packages, which are the three in the middle there, funded via FIRE Proposition 1 funds. And then there are some other uh, smaller ones funded via a new grant in the court and some fund balance in the fleet fund. Um, the capital improvement program changes. So there's about two and a half million dollars of those, um, which includes three hundred thousand dollars of um, which is offset by three hundred thousand dollars of a, one project being moved to the unfunded list um the description there is provided those what all discussed earlier um there is some grant awards as well as um, some timing changes to projects so following this public hearing uh, we will now have a uh, which covers both the property tax and the mid-buy uh, we will have a regular meeting to adopt the pro- uh, the property tax levy in the, in november at uh, the second meeting of november in prior years, we've had the um, property tax adoption and the public hearing on the same meeting, but in order for comments to be incorporated into future, um, in, into, the, <clears throat> into the council's decision on property tax, we have split the two. So we have the public hearing tonight, the November 21st meeting will include the preliminary property tax levy, and then on December 12th, final adoption of the mid by the um, property tax, and the 2328 CIP update. And those are my slides. So now, open for um, back to the council for public comment. Thank you. Any questions for George?
5: With no questions, I will now call upon any members of the public who have signed up to address the to address the council. Nobody online? Is there (coughs) anybody who wishes to address the council?
0: Susan Davis has just raised her hand virtually.
5: Are we bringing her on? And let's have three minutes. Welcome back, Ms. Davis.
14: Hi, are you able to hear me? We are. Okay, thank you. So um, I just want to um, mention about the uh, budget. I reviewed the file, it looks like potentially you guys have a smaller now um, uh, budget for the the area of, um, I'm sorry. Let's see, so Prop 1 did not pass. And so I don't think we need to spend the prop, the, the dollars that you guys had mentioned for an extension of a one time communication outreach specialist and the one time management analyst for the parks. I think it sounds like that's off because you guys did not have them on that one um, slide that the gentleman just showed. My other issue um, is just our budget. It's increased 78% since 2015, 2016, while other cities, it's even in your guys's packet. Bellevue has only increased 57% and Redmond 68%. What are we doing with our money? We have people that are wanting these capital projects completed, get us sidewalks, bike lanes. We have REIT, we have a big REIT reserve. And you guys even mentioned that this REIT reserve is reserved for capital projects. Yes, you're probably reserving it for the capital project of the aquatic center, which is not going to pass. Let's get that money going you guys have 90 million of these budget reserves that you could use for these specific for these purposes we don't need you buying any more property i don't even know what you guys are going to do with the houghton park and ride you know you've basically also bought the pcc parcel but of course it's more of a loan it's not a capital project i don't even know all of the the, the mumbo jumbo with how you guys got that 14 million for it but that's fine but rather than earmarking funds for an aquatic center like you've done, let's address the unfunded projects in our transportation plan. We have stoplights that need to be done. We have sidewalks that need to be done. It's more than just the $20 car tabs for the walk to school areas. There's sidewalks everywhere that need to be done. We can use these wor- resources to acquire the land for the Finhill Green, Green Loop that was on the, um, on the ballot that was a small little part, which because was, was mostly at the aquatic center that should be purchased. We could get some 3 court pickle bar facilities. We could buy bike racks for every park so people could ride their bikes to parks and not worry about it. And no, we do not have bikes. Um, uh, we do not have bike uh, racks at parks, and we should. It's ridiculous. Also, why don't we, lastly, dedicate funds to support a seasonal park ranger, right? It didn't get on the ballot you guys have funds. Let's get a seasonal park ranger added as well. That was on the ballot. It's not passing. Let's get it. So they can enhance the safety and maintenance of our parks. I think that all of this could easily be done. And I don't understand Thank the you, justification. Ms. Davis.
5: I'm sorry. Your time is up. Okay. Thanks. Is there anyone else who would like to address the council with regard to, the, to this topic?
0: Yes. Eileen Forster is virtual and she would like to address the council.
5: Forster, are you there?
10: There. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Ah, thank you. I'll be brief. I'm hoping to advocate for holding off on stores to shores until we could get the sidewalk issues along 124th Avenue Northeast worked out. I know that the city's worked hard on it. Uh, My feeling is that um, there's too much disjointed information and if you're a person actually trying to traverse with a wheelchair, we're not there yet and I think it would be best to uh, take a little more time with it. That's all I have to say. Thank Thank you. Thank you for your feedback.
5: Anybody else? Okay. Then I'm going to say close this public comment portion of the hearing. Council will now consider all public comments received on this issue, including those submitted in writing. And we are having no council action this evening. That's correct. It takes us to item number seven, State of the College address by Dr. Eric Murray. Welcome, Dr. Murray.
3: Thank you. I like it when someone else works my technology for me. That's that's helpful. Thank you. Good evening. I'm Eric Murray. I'm the president of Cascadia College, and this is my annual visit to talk to you about the state of the college. Uh, By way of introduction, Cascadia College serves the city of Kirkland. We are defined by our school districts that we serve. So we serve like Washington, North Shore and Riverview School District. And every year around this time, I go to all of the city councils and the school district boards to give a state of the college address. When I was here last year, I was reminiscing, it was a little earlier because I came over when it was sunny and warm outside and uh, not so much today. And so uh, I have good news to report today and I'm happy to talk to you about where we are. So I think I get to, do I get to advance these or someone else? Now I need help, oh, well, okay. Uh, We'll start there. Four things to talk about today, student success, equity and inclusion, access and growth uh, with the college. So first with student success, Cascadia every year seems to surpass other community colleges in the effect that we have on our students. We have the highest percentage of transfer students into the university system out of the community colleges. We show by our state data that Cascadia students generally earn about 9% higher in wages upon graduation. And if they're in the business area, it's 16,000 more, and in IT, about 11,000 more. So those are great stats for our graduates. But we also um, use other metrics to determine student success. We have the highest number of transfer pathways into Utah Bothell. We were designed that way as a co located campus. Uh, We've seen increases in student retention and Actually, the, the bottom point there: we have the highest retention rate in the community college system. Nationally, students stay from one fall to the next fall. About forty-nine percent of students are retained at Cascadia. In this last year, it was ninety—or was sorry—it was ninety-three percent of students. It's huge, and that's because I, well, I think post-pandemic students are trying to find their way back into higher education. So this was a higher than normal year for us in terms of our, recent, our retention. And we have the highest percentage of students who enter in at below college level math and English. We have the highest percentage of getting them into college level during their first year with us. We are finding that more students are coming to us this year with a learning gap. We think that's because of the pandemic and that students uh, because of the online learning environment maybe aren't or weren't as prepared uh, upon graduation as previous classes. We also pride ourselves on our success in equity and inclusion. We have a couple of signature programs. One's called Cascadia Scholars, which we started uh, three years ago with 16 students. This is for uh, historically underrepresented and marginalized students. We offer them uh, mentors who help guide them through their path at Cascadia. We started with 16, it grew to 53, and now we have over 100 students in the program. And those students are showing even higher retention rates than students who are not in the mentor program. We have an equity and inclusion foundations course that we developed, all of our employees are asked to take it. It has become popular and so our state board for community and technical colleges would like to send uh, people to it. We've had leadership east side, we were, are working with them to help influence their curriculum with regard to equity and inclusion and the King County Library System just asked if they could send their employees to our foundations of ENI course. So we're uh, trying to do things not only for our students but for our employees. Last year we had three student of color conferences representing the three school districts. Over 600 students of color landed at Cascadia's campus for those conferences, and then we had a high number of them end up applying to both Cascadia and UW Bothell because of that experience. And then we were also dedicated a lot of, uh, doubled our staffing in this area, so we think that's a success for us. Access is another mode of success, and we, uh, have fully implemented now something called Guided Pathways, which is a state and national curriculum, or uh, I guess advising program, you can call it, that uh, helps students decide on a meta-major instead of a specific major. So they take general education requirements within this broad group. There are seven meta-majors, and then when they get to university, they are prepared then to sub-choose which major they want, and they're prepared for any one of them. That gives them extra time to decide on the specific major before they get into it and still meet their general education requirements. The city of Kenmore gave us a grant because of this learning gap issue that we talked about. We received it this summer to start a tutorial Tuesday program for our 12th graders and recent graduates. They come to campus and in our learning center, they get remedial tutoring on both math and English courses so we can get them back up to speed and into a higher level math and English course. Uh, we hope that uh, other folks will want to see the value in that kind of program and, and support that for the future. That affects Inglemore High School uh, right now. And then uh, you might be aware of the Redmond Together Center, this effort where there are 20 more than 20 nonprofits and three blocks of affordable housing. We have a classroom in that center and we opened this fall with nine classes. Uh, a lot of them are full and we will be expanding to 15 classes next quarter. Um, One cool thing about the Together Center, their principle is you bring people together and you can serve people better. And we had this conversation with one of the tenants there, a nonprofit that supports uh, folks of Chinese descent, and they offer English as a second language level one. We offer level one through six. So they're going to send their students to us after level one, and then we'll take them on to level two, three, four, and five right there in the same location. So that kind of partnership is really helping Folks in that community, and we're glad now to have that significant presence there. Then, lastly, I want to talk about growth, and um, these are uh, capital growth projects. Next Thursday, we have the grand opening for Innovation Hall, which is our eighty million dollars STEM building that we built in conjunction with uh, with Utah Bothell. And uh, this building, which will open January second, will have faculty offices next door to each other, both our students and Uda Bothell students in the same building, state-of-the-art science labs for them, and the premise here is that this, we're taking advantage and leveraging this co-location so that our students do have the opportunity, the Cascadia students, to be mentored by Uda Bothell students and to see UW Bothell classes and to interact uh, in a commingled facility. And uh, it's the first intentional building built for both a community college and a university uh, in the state and I think the nation. So that's good. With regard to growth, when I was here last time, we were worried about enrollment, significantly worried about enrollment and to the point that we were using reserves and stimulus funds to stay afloat. And I am very happy to say that uh, enrollment took a rise last spring such that we did not have to use our reserves. We are up another 11% uh, this fall and are financially back to stable ground and students are returning. Students also are wanting in-person classes. Our in-person classes fill four times quicker than our online classes because students, at least at the community college level, really embrace the, the idea of being in a classroom with their instructor and learning in a hands-on fashion rather than online. So. We have now about a 70-30 split between in-person and online, and we're going to stick that way. A lot of folks predicted that in-person learning would go away because of the pandemic and our adaptation. It didn't. Uh, it is back very strong. So in summary, the college is doing great. Uh, financially, we're stable. Enrollment's going up. We're expanding in buildings and locations. Our, our programs that we're offering to students to help them succeed are in full force. And I'm, um, uh, a lot more calm this year than I was last year. So um, happy to take questions if time allows.
5: But t- thank you, Dr. Murray. I-, I just wanted to remind you the people said handshakes and hugs were going to go away too. There <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah. Yeah. So any questions or comments for Dr. Murray? Well done. Okay. Good news to hear. Yeah. And and when I was there for the mayor's conference, I was really impressed. It you was. saw the
3: building right there. Yeah. Well,
5: not just the building. The, the, it's alive with kids it's just it really is amazing with so many folks living on campus now too yeah
3: thank you very much have a great evening
5: thanks eric bye bye Okay, this takes us to item number nine, our consent calendar. Before we have a motion, I'd like to ask Deputy Mayor Arnold for an audit of the accounts.
9: Thank you, Madam Mayor. We had payroll in the amount of $5,978,564.27 and bills in the amount of $11,177,991.69. I'll note that the bills included invoices for several large capital projects and the Fisk property purchase.
5: Mm. Thank you for that. Okay. Can I get a motion to approve the consent calendar? It's been moved by Council Member Falcone. Second. second by Council Member Curtis to approve the consent calendar. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion carries unanimously. Takes us to our business agenda. First item on our business agenda is... Wait a minute.
15: The
1: 2023 annual corporate. There you go. <laughs> City manager. Okay. Thank you. I uh, yeah, had to turn the page on that one. So uh, here to give you that presentation is our senior planner, Scott Guter, and I believe our deputy planning director, Allison Zike, is also here.
5: Great.
11: And I think we might have a, a slight delay in Scott logging on so I can go ahead and get the deck pulled up. And start while he gets logged on here. So give us just a moment. Sorry about
12: that. Great, Ellie. Thanks.
1: <laughs> We're moving fast today. Hey, I'm I'm here. Ooh.
11: All right, I can go ahead and keep sharing since I'm up already.
16: Okay, let me let me uh, um, find out where I'm at here. Okay. Well, let me get my myself. There up. you are. Hey, there I am.
5: Welcome, Scott.
16: (laughs) Well, thank you. Well, that was quick. I was thinking I was on for a little bit here. Well, uh, good evening, uh, Madam Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and Council. Um, I'll keep this briefing brief. Uh, I only have six slides. Um, So, next slide. Okay. So, each year, the city identifies potential comprehensive plan amendments for review and consideration and possible adoption. At a minimum, the city must amend the capital facilities element annually to uh, reconcile the capital facilities plan with the six-year capital improvements program as required by the Growth Management Act. Other amendments are initiated by city staff as needed, um, including consideration of land use change requests via community initiative amendment requests, park acquisitions, and other miscellaneous housekeeping amendments. This year, we have three uh, city initiated amendments uh, requests and no community initiated requests to consider. The first is the annual uh, amendments to the comprehensive uh, or annual amendments to the capital improvements plan tables of the capital facilities element. Second, we have a land use and zoning map uh, amendments associated with uh, recently acquired park property. And lastly, Uh, We have the proposed land use amendment of the Houghton Park and Ride properties recently approved for acquisition. Next slide. The capital facilities plan updates reflect necessary amendments to maintain consistency with the uh, uh, 2023-2028 capital improvement plan and the 2023-2024 budget. The CHANGES RELATE TO uh, UPDATES TO THE CITY WORK PROGRAM, PROJECT TIME, uh, TIMING AND OR COST AND uh, CHANGES TO PROJECT FUNDING SOURCES. AND COUNCIL HAS uh, RECEIVED A a BRIEFING um, uh, ON THIS TOPIC uh, IN THE LAST MEETING AND ALSO HAD A STUDY SESSION THIS EVENING ON THAT, ON THESE CAPITAL FACILITIES. Um, NEXT SLIDE. Uh, IN SEPTEMBER, uh, CITY COUNCIL AUTHORIZED uh, THE PURCHASE OF THE JAMES G. FISK PROPERTY LOCATED ON 6th STREET SOUTH ADJACENT TO AND IN SUPPORT OF THE cross Creek CORRIDOR. WITH THIS AMENDMENT, THIS LOW-DENSITY RESIDENTIAL PROPERTY WILL BE CHANGED TO PARK, uh, park AND OPEN SPACE AND WILL REQUIRE uh, AMENDING THE ZONING MAP FROM RS 8.5 TO PARK AND OPEN SPACE. NEXT SLIDE. Additionally, in October, the city uh, uh, council authorized purchase of the Houghton Park and Ride uh, site, which was uh, closed in February by King County due to low utilization. The acquisition would support future uh, community-oriented uses, including a potential location for affordable housing. Staff's proposed uh, transit-oriented development land use would uh, support future community-oriented development, including a community facility affordable housing or mixed use. This land use designation is also aligned with the comprehensive plan policy, uh, BT, uh, bridal trails policy, BT eight, which encourages future transit oriented development uh, that includes pedestrian connections uh, within the site and to adjacent streets. No zoning amendments are proposed at this time, but will be developed in the uh, next several months. Next slide. As for next steps, the planning commission will hold a public hearing on the annual comprehensive plan and zoning map amendments. Tomorrow, staff will bring the the commission's recommendations uh, for consideration and possible adoption at the council's December 12th meeting. That concludes my presentation. If uh, the council has any questions.
5: Council, any questions, discussion? Great report, Scott. Thank you, Allison. Thank you. I believe that takes thank us you. to our second item of business, the 2024 Sound Cities Association Re- Regional Boards and Committee Appointments. City Manager.
1: Okay. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So the purpose uh, today is to have a discussion at Council about the potential appointments. Uh, we're looking for Council to express their interest and then primarily to identify whether there's any uh seats where two people are more interested, and in discussions with the mayor, should that occur, the council would not decide that, but the mayor will be asking those two members to go uh, figure it out between themselves. <laughs> so, uh, but hopefully we don't have any overlap. So here to walk you through all of this is uh, Adriana Campbell, our Special Projects Coordinator, and then also uh, Diana Hart, our Government Affairs Manager.
17: Thank you, City Manager. Good evening, Madam Mayor. Welcome. Deputy Mayor, members of the council, happy to be here tonight to kick off a conversation about the sound cities association 2024 regional boards and committees and i'm happy to tell you i have a brief uh, six slide presentation tonight beginning with a little bit of background so there are 24 regional boards and committees that do have at least one position expiring and as the city manager just mentioned It's important for council to be aware that if any two council members apply to the same board or committee, SCA will not um, take both applications. They will appoint neither. Um, There are six year term limits for SCA appointments with some exceptions and the six sub bullets shown on the screen there are SCA's criteria for deciding appointments. And as a reminder, most of this is included in the SCA FAQs attachment in your packet. Okay, don't let this slide overwhelm you. It's a lot of text. (laughs) This is the list of the 24 boards and committees that have at least one expiring position, one expiring seat, excuse me. Those that are bolded represent um, currently held seats by Kirkland Council members that are expiring. The ones that are underlined are the two that staff feel council should consider also applying to, given their regional policy impact and responsibilities. And the two that are crossed out, council already has a designated seat on them given the city's size or contractual agreement, so a second SCA-appointed seat is not possible. Now in SCA's packet of materials, they had listed the Mental Illness Drug Dependency Advisory Committee as having an expired position, but staff has confirmed that that was an oversight. And I will navigate back to this slide when council deliberates. Staff also wants to make sure council is aware the Association of Washington Cities has extended their um, nomination period, um, their deadline for nominations to their committees as well as state boards and advisory committees. So, what's on the screen is what Kirkland council members are eligible for. And, like the previous slide, the ones that are bolded currently have a um, Kirkland council member in an expiring seat, and the two underlined are those that staff feel um, council should consider also applying for. Lastly is a high-level timeline showing what council can expect over the next month and a half. So Monday is the deadline for nominations for both AWC and SCA. Through the week of November 27th to December 1st, the Public Issues Committee Nominating Committee will meet and discuss. On Wednesday, December 13th, PIC will make a recommendation to the SCA board. And a week after that, on Wednesday, December 20th, the SCA Board of Directors will finalize appointments. Madam Mayor, I turn it back to you for a council discussion and I can navigate back to this slide, but let me know if it's better if I stop sharing my screen.
5: Okay, I think actually staying on this slide is, is just fine. Okay. Um, a couple of us have already made public, or is it just public to you and I? I think, we...
1: I think some were shared with Diana Hart, but not everybody shared okay. what they were uh, considering.
5: So, um, should we just kind of go down the the, the row? Um, and talk about, actually, Deputy Mario, I know you already prepared a document, so would you mind
9: starting? Sure. So I currently serve as an alternate on the Puget Sound Regional Council Transportation Policy Board, and will be applying for reappointment um, for that. Uh, I also, given the staff recommendation that the Regional Policy Committee for King County is something there, that's something that I am also willing to apply for if um, other folks aren't interested thank you
5: great Councilmember uh, council member pascal
6: so i currently serve on the regional transit committee um, and i'm open to having another council member uh, serve on that committee if if there is interest um, it's important that, that Kirkland has a representative on that committee, especially in a time when transit service is in flux. Um, and then I applied for the Transportation Improvement Board for the, the AWC appointment. I'm not quite sure when they actually make the appointment. I believe that's like a December, probably a December date as well. I
17: think it follows a very similar timeline to SCA, but we can confirm.
6: That's status where
12: I'm at. Great.
17: Um, <coughs> Council Member
12: Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I plan to reapply to the Affordable Housing Committee, the King County Affordable Housing Committee. Uh, also, given that we uh, just at 4 p.m. today received from SCA the, uh, the likely vacancies, I did not have time to read and process that before this evening, so I would like the opportunity to be able to um, email with any additional interest uh in the coming day or two uh, to be able to consider those other um appointments i did have one that i was interested in that i believe the mayor applied to so (laughs) i will not um express that that interest tonight um similarly with the statewide uh appointments as well given what you're um presenting here today uh, i may be interested in applying for the affordable housing advisory board as well but i need to just confirm, uh, look for scheduling conflicts, et cetera. So I can preserve the right to email about that as yeah, well. But yes. I'm listening and taking notes to what everyone else is interested in to help uh, reduce conflicts.
5: Absolutely. I think this is really all about making sure that we know what committees it is we want to have people on. And as, as, as uh, Council Councilmember Paschal suggested, you know, if he gives up RTC, there's going to be a whole process around filling that position. So should we apply for it, we may get consideration for it, but we're all gonna be waiting in line just like everybody else for these various boards. Um, And just, I will go in line. Um, I have applied for the Board of Health. Um, It's a popular committee. I'm doubtful that I will be appointed to it. Um, I also, I think I'm timed off of just about everything. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, I have already served on emergency management for six years. I could probably go back to it if that was considered a, a priority for us. But I don't think, given our status of emergency management, I think we are far and a, shoulders above uh, most cities in the region. Um and that is the only thing. I've also applied for the training committee at AWC. I figured with 14 years in, maybe there was something I could teach somebody else. Councilmember Member Curtis.
10: I just want to remind everybody on the, I'm on the nominations committee, so be nice. <laughs> um, I am currently serving on a gross management planning council and plan to re-up for that. I have been on the King Conservation District for four years. I'm eligible for one more year because I was an alternate for three, but I'm going to step off to give other people opportunity. Um, and I am with Council Falcon. Falcone. I've been a little busy, <laughs> so I haven't um, really had a chance to look at the email we got today or decide if there's other committees I want to apply to, so I will let everyone know. And I assume that um, when we do apply, perhaps Diana and Andriana would like to know that we've done that and to which mm-hmm. committee? Thank you.
5: You know, and I just want to make a comment. I think that Local Hazardous Waste Management Coordination Committee, I'd love to hear from staff that that was one that we wanted to consider, but I think there's only one elected on that committee. Um, so it's not like a consensus-building thing as much as there's a little bit of an advisory element to it. Uh, Councilmember Black.
8: Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So one quick question um, for Andreana. Um, does this list reflect the latest that we got from um, SCA at whatever it was, 4
17: o'clock? I apologize, Councilmember Black. I have not seen that email. Oh, okay. And I'm seeing some shaking of heads, so I, I mean, have to say no.
8: Yeah, the fact that you mentioned that mid um, advisory committee, um, I thought maybe you guys, the, the staff had seen that and had incorporated it here. Kind of looks like it's pretty up to date, but anyway. Um, so I'm uh, I'm on the regional law, safety, and justice committee, and I'm the caucus chair, the SCA caucus chair, uh, and uh, I was planning to reapply for that. Um, and then, um, given my uh, separate um, appointment by this by the council to the Eastside Transportation Partnership, along with Deputy Mayor Arnold, uh, and given Deputy Mayor Arnold's other. Uh, so many other regional um, commitments. Uh, I was willing uh, if um, to uh, uh, apply for the Regional Transit Committee if um, because of the synergies there, uh, if Councilman Paschal was sure that he didn't want to apply for that one. Um, and I think that covers me. Oh, I guess I do have one question for the Mayor, uh, since we're also kind of talking about AWC here as well. Um, you are, I think, our appointee to the um, large city advisory group, and you want to continue in that role.
5: No, most of those are mayoral positions. Yeah, so So. that's covered. It will be covered. And you don't want any help. I got it covered until January, dude.
8: Okay, very good. No, no, no. I was just going to offer to help. That's all. So um, that's it.
15: Thanks. Thank you. Mr. Nixon. Um, I will also need a couple of days before I'm uh, sure what I might have an opportunity to do. Thank you very much for that.
5: With that, Andreana, Diana, do you need anything more than that?
17: That's all, Madam Mayor. Thank you.
5: <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, Council Member Falcone. Oh, sorry. Councilman- oh,
8: thank you. I just, uh, the deadline for applying is 13. S- it is Monday, so uh, we're just going to ask when we're going to hear back that we should go ahead and apply to the ones we. I
5: just... didn't hear any conflicts. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, deputy mayor, with with your agreement.
9: Yeah, I think you yeah. know it was just you and Councilmember Pascoe figuring out the yeah. okay. Regional Transit Committee, but that was the only one.
8: Okay, I'll talk to Councilmember Pascal then, just to double check and make sure.
5: Well, and okay. on that list, like there's the regional housing authority that's appointed not by sca it's right. appointed by the by the
11: executive. so there are two or three sca seats on that it does not look like that has been flagged as one of those that will have an open seat okay uh, so it does not appear that that would be a, a open seat for consideration Councilmember
12: falcon thank you madam mayor i also had a uh, follow-up question so tonight we were talking about sca and then also a little bit of awc appointed seats We're going to be having a similar conversation about both internal and other regional things that we appoint ourselves to, like Councilor Black brought up, like ETP, and I'm on the Eastside Human Services Forum. We have our legislative working group. We have our transportation ad hoc group. Um, Are we going to be having a similar conversation about that at an upcoming meeting? Actually, I assume that that will probably happen in January. Right.
1: We traditionally do that the first two weeks in January.
12: Okay. And will we follow a similar process of kind of daylighting those conversations a little bit more? Yep, yep. have a list of what everybody is on and then have that
5: discussion. Great, thank you. OK, I think we're done with that agenda item. That will take thank us you. to reports. Uh, I'm going to start with you again,
9: Deputy Mayor Arnold. Uh, uh, couple things of interesting note. On Friday, November 3rd, the K4C Outreach Committee had uh, Senator Leas come talk about his transit-oriented development bill. Um, from the legislative work group's reports before, we were concerned about that bill impacting um, our incentives on 85th, but from that discussion, Senator Leis really talked about the bill shifting to being more incentive-focused versus requirements that would impact 85th, and so I'm sure that uh, Councilmember Black, who was also on that call, can bring that to the legislative work group. but it was a um, a good good discussion, and since Senator Leas was a former Muckle um, Teal Council member, he um, really appreciated K4C's work. It was a really worthwhile discussion um, with the Outreach Committee and the Senator.
5: Great, thank you. Councilmember Pascal.
9: I think the only
6: thing that I'd like to highlight is uh, next week we'll, we'll have the Regional Transit Committee meeting. Uh, we do take action uh, on the 2023 System Evaluation Report. That's basically a report on how the transit system's doing. And Metro uses that to either um, reallocate service or add service uh, to to either underperforming routes or routes that are or need, needing new service for um, growth or other things. Uh, I just note that it's a pretty stark port so far um, for Northeast King County. Um, not a lot of routes that are performing well Um, and they are you know i you know my fear kind of looking at the crystal ball is that you know we'll continue to have reductions over time without some type of enhancement um so that was released today and so i was kind of consuming that earlier and not feeling good about what i was reading but we'll see Thank you.
5: Well, and I hope that continues to be a priority for the discussion that you have in the transportation subgroup because we really do need to put pressure on the county as the station area gets closer and closer to beginning. I mean, we've talked about this a number of times, but I think we really need to build a strategy that, that uh, moves us forward along with, with staff. Thanks. Um, Councilmember Falcone.
12: Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, just a, a brief, a few comments. Um, had the opportunity to um, speak at and attend the Friends of Youth Ribbon Cutting for the Willows Youth Services Facility, along with their, um, was very well attended. Some amazing uh, Kirkland staff was there. Thank you to everyone who attended. Um, it is um, just just welcome. It is so awesome, those services that they're going to be able to provide, walk-in services for folks to do laundry to take showers to you don't need to be um sleeping there to use their services as well and the message of the day uh was really just to help spread the word about this facility about the work that friends of youth is doing so that our youth know that there is a place to um for them to go to get their needs met so um welcome and we're thrilled to have you here um friends of youth at the Will's youth services facility also that same day um was able along with um Some of my fellow council members, um, Nixon and Curtis, to volunteer at the Dio de los Muertes event, and it was awesome. It was so beautiful, so well done. Everybody was having such a great time. There was something for everybody there. There was something for children, for families, for grown-ups. It was um, fun activities, great photo ops, crafts for kids, wonderful entertainment, wonderful um, treats for everybody. Everybody had a smile on their face. The amount of just thank yous from the community um, to really be able to celebrate this beautiful culture, um, cultural event. And so really well done. Kudos to everyone that was involved in that. It was um, just a wonderful celebration. Other than that, uh, again, just to keep it brief, um, have the SCA board meeting next week where we'll be talking uh, one of our agenda items, I assume, will be the letter that we approved to send this evening. So more to come on that. Thank you.
10: Super. Thank you.
12: Councilmember Curtis.
10: Thank you. To follow up, Deputy Mayor, we had uh, Lake, uh, Lake Washington. Well, I'm tired. Legislative work group had a tour with Rep. Reed, a TOD tour. Uh, staff did an excellent job. We had a bus full of staff members and Rep. Reed. Um, and we went up to Totem Lake and looked at some new development and then took her down the station area plan. That was very well received. Senator Leas was invited, but he wasn't able to make it. I have shared with our delegation that we did it, and a number of them are interested in us doing it again. Um, and then uh, Council Member Falcone didn't mention the Fire Station 22 tour. We build beautiful fire stations. That was a great tour. And, of course, the Arbor Day, Day celebration was high on my list. So well done, staff
5: Excellent. Council Black.
8: Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, so let's see, just to keep things short as possible, um, just a reminder uh, to my colleagues, um, we did have the racers principles assembly meeting um, just after our, last meet, after our last council meeting. <coughs> Circulated those materials. Uh, our next princi- uh, racer principles assembly meeting will be uh, Wednesday, December 13th. And I will circulate uh, the materials for that uh, as soon as I get them. And, of course, anyone is welcome uh, and should ask me uh, any questions they have about any of those materials or any of the the things that we'll be talking about at the RACER principles. Um, I did want to note there's a SCA annual meeting coming up, and I think our council has to appoint a voting delegate. Um, I'm looking at the mayor because I'm guessing she's it, but... I don't know how that. I don't know how we've done that in the past. I can't remember. We do it once a year, and I always forget exactly how we go about it.
5: Um, do you know when it is?
8: I do. I wrote it down here. It's Wednesday, December sixth.
5: Okay, let's coordinate. I, I just. I don't have my calendar.
8: I was planning to attend, but I have no. I do not feel like I need to be the voting delegate. In fact, I'd be happy for. Either council member Falcone or you, or frankly, any of my colleagues, would be the voting Let's delegate. Just
5: coordinate whoever's going to go and
11: okay make that selection. All right. We will also have meetings that may be separate from that. But we'll need a voting
5: delegate. Okay. Oh, the North Caucus. Yeah, yeah I haven't seen anything about that one no. yet. That Great.
8: Okay. I'll just wait to hear from my colleagues. Just let me know what you guys want me to do.
0: Great.
5: Thank
8: you. <laughs> um, uh, and I'll plan to attend as long as it doesn't cause any problems. Um, the, uh, I did want to call out that, um, uh, a couple of us were able to attend AWC's civic health summit, um, since our last meeting on Thursday, October 19th. And that was a meeting of, um, folks from all over, uh, elected officials, but also, uh, people from different organizations. And it was all about improving the health of civic discourse. And that was, uh, me and Madam mayor and council Member Curtis I and
5: want to talk about how it started.
8: Uh, no um but um yeah there was diverse opinions and but it was you know that's what it was all about it was all about diverse opinions so it was wonderful um uh i actually did want to evangelize quickly the 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 kpc the kirkland Performing center's new uh annex studio um i know that some of us have had a a, a, uh have Councilmember Nixon and I i know we got the tour, and I know all of us have been invited. I would just, one, encourage any of my council members who haven't had that tour to do it, because it's pretty cool, and then to the public, I would just evangelize um, it as a cool new asset for our community. So look into the uh, new KPC uh, studio. Um, I did want to quickly just um, a couple more things related to the TO, Senator Leas's TOD bill and the legislative work group. Just noting that um, Legislative Work Group is working with staff to get a copy of Senator Leas's bill, so we're, go- we're doing that. And then we're also planning to invite Senator Leas to the next tour, of our TOD tour, so we're hoping um, that he'll uh, be able to attend that. And with that, I am done. Thank you.
5: Thank you. Council Member Nixon.
15: Thanks. Um, well, in addition to the things that have already been mentioned, um, I... Uh, was able to represent the council at the ribbon-cutting at the new University University of Washington Primary Care Clinic in Kirkland. Uh, It's at the corner of 6th Street and Kirkland Way. Mm. And um, a very large facility. And the thing that struck me most was that they've done a very good job with their art collection. It's very diverse culturally. So if you get an opportunity to, to visit there, ask them to show you all the different pieces of art they have throughout the whole facility. <clears throat> and then on the morning of Saturday the 4th, I was able to speak at another rally in Marina Park in support of um, freeing the captives uh, from October the October 7th event in Israel. And um, I I was impressed there also that um, our Jewish community, um, not just in Kirkland, but on the east side, um, feels safe to have those kind of events in Kirkland. And uh, I've noted at all of those recent events that the Kirkland Police Department has done an excellent job of um, monitoring what's going on in the vicinity. And I, I really appreciate the fact that KPD has stepped up to that, and I know that the attendees at the event very much appreciated it as well.
5: Great, thank you for doing that. Okay, for me, I'll wrap up. Uh, Once again, uh, I want to thank Council and his and his wife for a great party um, that we were able to put on in terms of recognizing our amazing um, management and, and director staff. Um, did anybody mention the police awards? Um, we had a police awards ceremony where we gave a medal of valor. Was that what it was? Medal of honor to a police officer who performed an amazing feat. as was this guy described by the chief. It's always an emotional thing to watch, um, and it makes you so proud of our police department. It really, it, it, it it's an amazing event. And I'm so glad that they invite us. Um, In terms of regular work, I'm also part of a group that's doing an organics stakeholder series. We're meeting every two weeks for two hours to talk about organics and how they're being managed across the country. I'm doing that sort of in conjunction with my Ms. WAC work. I was doing it because of the SWAC, but I'm no longer (laughs) on SWAC. So... Um, so I'm in the process of handle, handing some of this off to other new SCA members who are doing SWAC. Um, I also was invited to the two line grand grand opening uh, planning party. So it was a huge meeting in Bellevue at the Spring District to plan the opening of the eight stations that's going to happen when we do the when when we go ahead with the two line. Uh, why I was invited <laughs> was not clear to me. So I was the last one introduced, and I kind of looked around the room, and I said, there are no stations in Kirkland. I said, we've moved a little dirt. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, but you better all come to my party when we open the BRT station. There you go. So, yeah. So they're getting all ramped up for that. It's, it's going to be a big deal. Um, also, we had, uh, I had uh, regional water quality. One more after this, and uh, that is all. City Manager.
1: Okay, thank you, Mayor. Um, One PowerPoint slide to share with you. Um, The first item under the City Manager Report is the Planning Nomenclature Alternatives. Uh, The term nomenclature is submitted by our City Attorney, and we thought we should include that. Um, So uh, just very briefly, um, as you know, we had our presentation on our DEIB Roadmap, um, accomplishments and also things that we might look forward to in the next uh, roadmap update and one of those was looking at language um, that was outdated or uh we wanted to replace and one of those was the term master plan and this is not unique to kirkland it's something you find in planning literature if you if you search um has been raised in the past so staff wanted to uh suggest a process to come forward to the council and change at least that term there's a whole lot more work to be done and working through outdated language in our documents, but that would be quite a bit of work. And during the Compound Update next year, we'll be talking a lot about the current Transportation Master Plan, the current Sustainability Master Plan, possibly about the CKC Master Plan. And So we felt that trying to change that terminology to something we all agree to uh, going forward would be really helpful for that as a starting point. So uh, the proposal for the Council's discussion tonight is that we would come to you with the 12th with a resolution uh, suggesting alternative language and have the council adopt that, and then we'd use that to change the titles of those documents um, and any plan going forward, and then also to replace the title uh, for existing documents that has that. Um, so examples I have up there, we haven't, we're haven't. we not proposing any for tonight's action, but examples of alternatives include strategy or strategic plan, governing plan, and general plan. Um, and then the other piece that we're suggesting as part of this is that we essentially create almost a glossary of planning with hierarchy tiers. So you'd have a uh, implementation plan or action plans would fall below these strategy plans or governing plans, which then would fall below the comprehensive plan. So uh, the check-in is, are you okay with this idea of coming to you on the 12th with that decision? Uh, that's question number one. And question number two is, if you are, does anyone have any other alternatives you'd like us to evaluate um, in the next few weeks as we're putting these together? So let's question one first about the proposal
5: sounds like a plan. (laughs) Um,
12: (laughs) (laughs) Council member Falco. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, We're tired, aren't we? Um, I was just going to mention that I think this may dovetail nicely with some of the conversations we've been having about um, onboarding new council members and just uh, preparing them for kind of what's ahead and giving them the big picture. As we go through the list of like the hierarchy of different plans, um, I think it would be just nice to have that as part. I know we've discussed this as part of the onboarding to let folks know, you know, because it, it can be confusing as a new council member, you know, when do we update which plan and which plan falls under which plan and, and, and cetera. So just wanted to mention that that dovetails nicely um, because I know there are, those are two kind of concurrent efforts that we're working on. So
1: thank you.
5: I think the whole concept of a hierarchy is, is interesting because that, that becomes a conflict in so many meetings that I, Attend during so many bodies of work. You know what is the plan that's driving <laughs> everything?
10: The one plan. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I
5: feel like I'm in
10: episode, right? oh. <laughs> <laughs>
5: You haven't even seen that show. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Any further discussion?
1: Okay. okay. City manager reports. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so uh, one other uh, action item well, thank you so much, Diana. Um, one other action item. So uh, you received from the city clerk. Uh, we received a, a sixth nomination application for the Cultural Arts Commission. Uh, the person who applied uh, got it a little late, but it's Lana Hancock, who's also one of our Kirkland Initiative uh, alums, and um, we wanted to see if the council was willing to add that to the other five, so it'll be one of the six positions you'd evaluate for uh, filling the vacancy on the Cultural Arts Commission. Well, question number one of this is, are you okay with adding a late person?
5: Any objection? None.
1: So question number two, we currently have you all scheduled to meet on November 30th to uh, do interviews, uh, but you also have the option under your rules to pick a subcommittee to winnow from six down if you so choose. And so currently we have you all doing it and basically interviewing all six people, but we wanted to check in and see if the council is okay with that or whether you'd like to try to...
5: I think the question is, do you want to do a 30-minute meeting in order to make it a 30-minute longer meeting Mm -hmm. or do you want to just all do the extra 30 minutes? (laughs) (laughs) Deputy Mayor. (laughs) Uh,
9: Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, I would propose that we uh, interview all the candidates. I was looking through the resumes and I would have a hard time if I was selected on a committee to choose to be able to narrow, so I think we have a number of interviews to do and a a tough choice to make, and so I would uh, plan that we just go ahead with the scheduled meeting on the 30th. 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 Okay with everybody? Uh, Council Member Curtis?
10: Yes. Yes, I agree with go ahead and do all six. I just want to say, I don't mean to be a big meanie, but we let this late application, we're going to be pushed the next time, so let's just be Thoughtful when we uh, let, we've agreed to accept this late application, but let's don't let this be a precedent.
5: I agree with you.
1: That's fair, and this is an out-of-cycle recruitment process. But I think that's a fair point.
5: And I think because it's an out-of-cycle process, that makes yeah. some sense.
1: Okay, wait a minute. Okay, so then uh, last question for you all um, is any calendar updates? Then I have one update on racer. So, first, but calendar update from anyone?
5: See none other than I will be gone.
1: So, the racer up that I want to provide as the president. So, at our Racers Principals Assembly, Councilmember Black highlighted that he'd had some conversations, and maybe some of you have as well, about Redmond's interest in joining Racer. Um, we learned that at the last Redmond meeting, they actually adopted a resolution. I haven't actually read it yet, uh, formally requesting to be evaluated for joining Racer and laying out how they would be interested. So when Councilmember Black raised that, we recognize as the racer board, we actually don't have any criteria for when someone would join or when we'd be ready. There's a couple things identified in the interlocal agreement. The first says that uh, someone joining cannot impact the service levels of the existing cities. Uh, And so one of the things that we briefly talked about at the last board meeting is, we should get some stuff written down about exactly what is that and how would we evaluate that, right? Uh, So that's probably the single biggest thing. The second thing is uh, we're not at full staff yet, so we're sort of figuring out how you would even tell someone what it would take to join, we're not at that place yet. So the rules say that we couldn't even consider it until the year is up, the year would be up in January, but the board is gonna be thinking through um, what additional probably time and criteria we need before that's really possible to say we know what we're asking of you when we ask you to join and we know how we can assure that that isn't gonna diminish service in the existing area. So we're all extremely excited about the fact that someone wants to join. Our whole goal, of course, is that this be uh, eventually countywide and you know, statewide. But, um, so it's an interesting conundrum, uh, flattered but also like, huh, <laughs> we weren't expecting it that fast. So uh, the board is definitely talking it through and I just wanted to keep you all updated um, as we do that.
5: Great, and I have heard some interest coming from Woodenville as well.
1: And that's all I have, then, Madam Mayor.
5: Okay, excellent. That takes us, therefore, to our second items from the audience. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it is an additional time in our regular meeting when we normally can hear from the public on matters that are not quasi-judicial or otherwise scheduled for public hearing on our agenda and assuming the rest of our meeting has been concluded before 10 p.m. Is there anyone... No, Aaron says. <laughs> From the public. Who would l- wishes to make comments? Anybody online? Thank you very much. Then I believe that takes us to... We will now go into a closed session to discuss collective bargaining. We will expect to reconvene our regular meeting at approximately...
1: say 20 minutes top, so 9.12. Um,
5: 9.12. Okay.
3: Thank
12: you it's <laughs>